podcast for our favorite nose in movies not the things on your face it's the the negative uh the, the character saying no i'll let dingus explain more about this but uh basically he wants he wants the character to yell the no but i am tom chick and i am here with the purveyor of this fine three by three christian mccoskey it's christian mcnowski and with a three by three, your favorite nose tagline, Kelly Wand. No. <laughs> uh, so this is a bit of our different format. We're going to be doing a three by three once a month at the end of the month. This is uh, the scheduling is a little mixed up because we're just implementing this. But there's there's no there's not one movie in this podcast. There are going to be nine of them, maybe fewer in case we have some overlap. Uh so let's get right into it. Dingus, what, what is this topic? Why have you done it? Explain yourself. What are we going to be doing here? <laughs> why Explain have you done yourself, it? Dingus. Did you just ask me why have you done it? Why have yep. you done this? Why have you done this to us? It's a, why, have you, why have you done this to us? All right. Well, uh, this three by three, this topic about movies, uh, is uh, inspired by characters yelling no. In- <laughs> you know what? Hold on a second. Hold what that the thought. hell? Real quick. That's the explanation. We should probably go around the room. Has everybody tell me one movie you've seen this week? Let's do that just for the heck of it. Dingus, what's a movie you've seen this week? Okay. We're gonna. Um, You know what? I'm gonna gonna give the listeners not not nine movies, twelve movies. Oh jeez. That's right. Yeah. What's something you've seen this week, Dingus? Why do I have to answer this question first? Okay, Kelly Wand, what's the movie you've seen this week? Did you tell? Did you see what you told me you were going to see, or did you lie to me? I couldn't find like, a like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Oh, fake news! <laughs> uh, well, right, you see, mean last week because I did see part of a movie. All right, what did you, well, nah, do you really want to talk about part of a movie? It was Howard the Duck. Wow! Oh. All right, what made you do that? Because it was on, and I wanted to see if it held up. Does yeah, Howard the Duck hold up? Uh, the font of the of the title is similar to the Back to the Future uh, logo. Mm-hmm. It's in the same color, and the letters look the same. And Leah Thompson's in it again, except she's somehow younger and dumber in Howard the Duck, even though it was after Back to the Future. Did you, oh, George Lucas directed Howard the Duck, didn't he? Did he? Wow. I thought he just did. Maybe, but Tim Rob. Science. I could be wrong about that. I don't know. So who directed Howard the Duck? You might be right, Tom. I'm, oh. I thought he made Richard Marquand do it, but maybe not. I don't think he directed it. I think that would be too – because any time he direct, – because when he directed the prequels, they'd go, his first movie since Howard the Duck. And I don't remember what anyone <laughs> saying. I kind of think they would not say that. That's not how I would market the prequels. <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't open with that. I think the director is a guy named Willard Hyuk. <laughs> no what? relation. Deb, I mean, H U Y C K is the guy's name. So it almost That's says not, duck. You're making that up. No. And his first name is the evil mouse. I mean, Do you remember that. the last time we saw uh, Howard the Duck in a movie? 
Yeah, I do. It was awesome. Well, we're doing it the last time. I mean, it's the only time besides Howard. When else would we have All seen right. Howard the Duck in a movie? Well, he he appears a lot of movies. He was in Howard When Harry Met Sally, I'm sure. But there's like sex jokes in it, and he has a rubber, and it's kind of like it has that '80s, and it's really cheap looking, even more than you'd think. Well, isn't isn't the whole angle of Howard the Duck as a comic book character that he's that he's kind of vulgar? Like, isn't that part of his? Yeah, they cut all that. They made him more sympathetic, and he looks, and he can't. His expression never changes, and um. So how long, Kelly Wan, before we get an R-rated Howard the Duck movie? Do you think? Hopefully, only two months from now. <laughs> but maybe they can sell that off to DC. And DC, but can you, I mean, you say if someone smokes, it should be R-rated. So as far as you're concerned, the old Howard the Duck should be R-rated because he'd smoke cigars on that. Oh, right? real? Okay. Well, yeah. Well, they'd have to. No, they they just have to make him stop smoking. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies where when the plot calls for it, he can fight and like like kick people 10 times his size in the face and the nuts. But like the rest of the time he's getting like thrown down bars and stuff. And you know what I saw mentioning (laughs) Howard, what year would Howard the duck have been? 86. Oh gosh, that must've been painful. I just saw a 1990 and I did this uh, because my Patreon, I, I have a Patreon campaign and people can basically assign me reviews. I had to watch the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Movie, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind I of like, a, of a parcel of that Howard the Duck, that, that, that kind was of film. That movie it, was a huge hit. The way it was New Line. It got New Line out of being just the, the studio that did Nightmare on Elm Street movies. It gave them... Uh, it gave them more mainstream cred than just a horror studio. Yeah. Well, what you said was spot on. It's something that I even thought at the time is like anything, any kids entertainment where the only dif- difference between the characters is the color of either them or their costumes. And that's it sucks. It's like Teletubbies was the same fucking thing. And there was one Power Rangers, th- Power Rangers. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, that's you guys, you're going to be on the same page with me because I, what I discovered I liked the Michael Bay one, and that's one of the things that they did was that it's like, hey, let's make the turtles different. Let's give them different personalities. I mean, it's really stupid, and I think I liked it just because the first one really didn't hold up that well. Um, but they have but different personalities in the Michael Bay one? Different personalities, different looks, different styles, absolutely. It's one of the things that they kind of – you know, it's basically Transformers but with turtles. Uh, so is Megan Fox – okay, because Leah Thompson's character in Howard the Duck, I think fucks Howard the Duck or wants to. And in the comics, they have a very complex right. sexual – No, they, they give her a human love interest. So Megan uh, Fox, by the way, it's really weird. She doesn't have – like they have the, the, the chick in the 1991 is uh, – they give her a, a human love interest, this Casey Jones fella who's Elias Codius. And that's the little romantic tension. The first movie – Megan Fox is is pretty much uh, asexual. She's not into anyone. I mean, she's That's super a hot and everything. It, it is weird, yeah. But then in the second movie, the second movie opens with her uh, doing some investigative journalism. And in the course <laughs> of investigatively journalizing Tyler Perry, who is a super brilliant scientist, she has to pretend to like seduce him. But then she has to sneak away and follow someone – who uh, he was talking to and been sneaking away. She then has to change outfits. So she changes outfits into a sexy schoolgirl 
with like a super short skirt and she ties a shirt up. That's her way of escaping with no one noticing her. Exactly, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she slips off into the shadows. She, and she actually does. She, she, she sneaks into a cadre of sexy schoolgirls, and that's how she hides herself. Yeah. Oh. But she so has funny. no interest in any of the turtle. Like the, one of the turtles is into her, but it's unrequited. Because oh. Howard the Duck, Leah Thompson's into Howard the Duck, and he finds her annoying for most of the movies. Like, you want to fuck me? Get out of here. What are you doing? You got any real beer? Ugh. When does actually the, drop an f bomb though? Right. When did the, the Michael uh, Bay one come out? I forget. Uh, 2014 and 2016, um, and there are no more, it seems. Right now, it seems like it's stagnant. 2014 and 2016. Michael Bay did two of them? Yeah. Well, he didn't direct either of them, but he produced them. Yeah, yeah. There was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I think was just the the named reboot, and then 2016 was uh, Out of the Shadows. Uh, Uh, Yeah, he did two of them, and they they did well enough. But he didn't direct them. Okay. No, 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 but you can tell. I mean, they're clearly uh, Transformers template-type movies. All right. right. But the sequel to the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I had this class in college where they'd have the directors come in and talk, and the director of the sequel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came in, and and we had to watch it. And then afterwards, he's like, notice in the first one, they're fighting at the beginning, but in this, they're eating pizza. So we kind of lightened it up, see? (laughs) I'm like, what's what's the second one called? Like Secret of the Ooze or something? Yeah, oh, yeah, very good. Dingus, why do you know that? I don't know. It just occurred. It is memorable. Kelly Wand, I'm guessing. I bet that Dingus was probably really into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at one point. He seems like the kind <laughs> I of really guy wasn't. who has that in his past. He doesn't like fighting characters. He likes yeah, but they kind of mainly like ride skateboards and eat pizza and say cowabunga though. That talk, Dingus doesn't think Dingus doesn't like jock things. Like skateboards and pizza. He likes or, math class and uh, or straps. Track. I don't like straps. Yeah. yeah, he likes backpacks with safety belts on them. <laughs> so if Howard the Duck Candy were to give packs. up smoking, would he? Would a duck use a patch or gum? Both. All right. Especially Howard whistle. the Duck, he would like use both excessively in lieu of smoking. There's a scene where he, he's watching TV through a window because that's how they had to do these gags back in the 80s. And it's like every channel – and somehow it's changing channels by itself – is like, it's duck season. It's like the Bugs Bunny cartoon. And then there's like <laughs> a newscaster going, duck hunting starts tomorrow. And then he's all, whoa, and gets scared. And then the guy watching TV next to him looks down at him and goes like, what are you reacting to? <laughs> and I'm like – he doesn't notice the guy's a duck watching the thing that he's also watching about duck season opening. You've brought I up don't Looney Tunes. The jokes. I think you've brought up Looney Tunes two weeks in a row now. There's always a reason. <laughs> it might be on my top three too. Looney, Looney Tunes are timeless. Yeah, it's, it's Fiddler Crab season. I'm a Fiddler Crab. And and Disney was mad because Howard the Duck looked too much like Donald Duck. <laughs> He does look like him. It's like a live-action Donald Duck. Like right, well, Dingus, what's something now that you've seen in this past week? All right, this past week, I actually finally got to see The Big Sick. Oh, I liked it. I saw that, Wait, too. what's... Oh, the Kumail Ninjani thing. The Kumail yeah, Ninjani, yeah. yeah. It's good. It's cute. It's a cute yeah, movie. I would label it as cute. Um, Watch it with a lady. I, I was kind of annoyed today, because what happened today is the Golden Globes 
nominations came out and everybody's like, oh, no, The Big Sick wasn't nominated for enough categories. It's cute. It's a cute movie. It's not that great. I mean, he's good in it. There's a huge dead space in the middle when um, Zoe Kazan yeah. disappears into a coma. Oh, did Zoe and... Kazan play his girlfriend? Yes. <laughs> well, oh, I don't know how I feel I about thought it was that. How is she? Simple. What'd you say? What'd you say, I Kelly? asked how is she, and I said – I thought she was Juno Temple while I was watching oh, it. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> she's great in it. Um, but uh, the real revelations are uh, Ray Romano, who was amazing in it, um, and Holly Hunter, who isn't a revelation, but she's so good at playing her parents. Um, but the movie really kind of goes off the rails and – at a certain point, but it's still cute. I mean, Kelly won. I mean, Kelly says the right word. It's, it's a cute movie. Uh, it has some really touching moments. The opening is really strong and I love Kumail so much. I really love Kumail and Johnny. I mean, I really love that guy. Uh, but I don't think he can sustain this whole movie. Um, so it's not, that big of a deal that it wasn't nominated for best picture or whatever. Yeah, it's like It'll, a TV kind of. It like kinda, the jokes are really because the family. It kind of feels like that. Yeah, you're it's right. It's like the Master of None. The family is similar to the Master of None family. It's very. It really does have that kind of feel to it. Although you feel we're saying small. that because it's you know it's Aziz and people like is Aziz Camille Aziz Camille, uh, but it does have that same feel. Uh, yeah. with the family um, but I think Master of None is Laura. stronger I, I really love I, I'm a huge fan of both these both seasons of Master of None um, and this movie I really liked it but I, again I think Kelly you nailed it with saying it's cute it's not I just keep hearing comedians say this is really good this is so good this should be nominated for best picture no. I'm like just slow your roll. It's not that good. It's but it's a cute movie. It's a cute romantic comedy, and it it's got some good stuff going for it. Um, it tries to be important, but I don't think it's that important. Right. Tom would like it for a little bit and then fall asleep. Well, the, the moment when he starts throwing trash cans around at the drive-through, I'm like, all right, yeah, can, we can See? pause this and I can walk away. And it's autobiographical, so you're going, okay, this oh. is his. Well, he wrote it with his wife, uh, his wife, Emily. I, I think her name is Emily Gordon. Um, and the character that <laughs> Zoe, that Zoe Kazan plays is named Emily. And so uh, it's clearly autobiographical. Uh, but Kumail gets to play the character, but... Emily does not, but I don't. I don't really care about that. I mean, some people want to be actors, and some people don't. That's okay with me. Um, but and Zoe Kazan, I think, is really good in it. I think everybody's pretty good in it. But really, I loved Ray Romano. I mean, I was really nuts about that yeah, dude. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a. I, I never watched Everybody Loves Raymond, but I think he's great in this. And Holly Hunter is freaking amazing. I love her so much. Um, yeah, I would watch it again just to see Holly Hunter and Ray Romano because they're great. But unfortunately, for the structure of the movie, the entire sequence, the, the entire center section of the movie where they take over and Zoe Kazan disappears, uh, you kind of feel like you're in a different movie. So. There's nothing in it that you wouldn't expect uh, someone who wrote a script with his wife to be in there. 
Like, there's no, like... Whoa, uh, she let put that in? That's a good point, actually, yeah. Tom, you didn't see Big Sick, right? No, I did not. I uh, don't see movies with the word sick in the title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so what I did see uh, has the word sweet in the title. I prefer movies with the word sweet in the title to movies with the word sick in the title. Uh, And I actually recommend this to to both of you. There's a movie called Sweet Virginia, which is kind of uh, Alaska noir, I I think is what they want you to think of it as. Uh, The director, I know him from a movie called uh, River. And River stars Donald Sutherland's other son, who you've never heard of. His name is Rosif Sutherland, and he looks like a cross between uh, Josh Brolin and mm, maybe Jay Duplass. He's got a Josh Brolin-esque look to him. Say, say uh, his name again, Rosif? Yeah, Rosif Sutherland. Who knew? Uh, right. uh, but in River, he plays uh, a doctor in Laos uh, who's like working at Doctors Without uh, – Quarters. And it's one of those movies where somebody slips and hits his head and dies, and then terrible things happen. It's one of those movies where, you know, it, just because someone hit the edge of a table at the wrong angle, now it's that kind of movie. If that hadn't <sighs> happened, it would have been a finally whole different other kind of movie. Like so this guy starts making bad decision after bad decision, and things get worse, and he's really doing stupid things, but he's stuck in a foreign country doing them. And that kind of that that part of River is kind of thrilling. This idea that you know you're you're a white guy, you don't speak the language, you're completely out of your element, you stick out like a sore thumb, and you're on the lam. What are you going to do? Uh, so River is kind of a thriller uh, like that that this director made with Donald Sutherland's son, and it's kind of interesting. But his most recent movie is called Sweet Virginia, and Sweet Virginia is uh, John Bernthal and. Uh, I think we've all liked John Bernthal yeah, lately yeah. from from Sicario and uh, from uh, uh, Wind River, uh, and this is all John Bernthal. He's the lead. Unfortunately, he, he's not very dynamic in it, and it, it's written that way. I kind of like how he's not he, – he's a very muted, understated character, and he's even uh, somewhat – uh, physically diminished for very specific reasons, which is really cool. Uh, and Rosemary DeWitt plays his girlfriend, and they're both a lot of fun to watch. But the real reason to watch this movie, uh, Sweet Virginia, is an actor named Christopher Abbott who shows up early on, and every time he's on screen, the guy's just – I can't take my eyes off of him. And you guys know him from a movie called It Comes at Night. He plays a yeah. character named Will. Who the whole thing about Will and it comes at night is can you trust him or can you not trust him? What is the deal with this guy? He seems like a really nice guy and he seems like honest and forthcoming and you want to be his buddy, but there maybe is something a little off about him. And Sweet Virginia plays into this beautifully. Uh, he's fantastic in Sweet Virginia. So I recommend that as a little bit of Alaska noir. It's set, I didn't, it's set, I realized halfway through, it's not set in Virginia. Uh, oh. <laughs> it, it, there's a motel called the Sweet Virginia, but it's in Alaska. Uh, and then uh, there's two things that bug me about this movie that drive me crazy, and I don't know if this would bug you guys. So there's one scene where uh, Imogen Poots is also in it. She's very good. It's mm. so cool seeing her in the different kinds of roles she plays. Like seeing her as the punk rocker in, in Green Room, and in this, she just plays like a small town rural wife. Uh, she's really like sort of cute and mousy. Um, so there's a scene where there's someone inside of a house getting ready to leave, and there's high drama. This person is very stressed out, and through the window, 
you can see there's crazy wind blowing outside and the trees are just going insane and it's this great visual representation of that person's state of mind, right? And it's like, it's like that's a great directorial touch. But then the person goes outside to the front yard and the wind is gone. They obviously shot it on another day or they didn't have the fans that day. Or his it's state of mind is calmed down. Not at all, though. The state of mind, if anything, is exacerbated when the person is not safe in the house anymore outside. It's clearly it's – it's just a continuity error. But the hmm. problem is if I hadn't noticed it through the window, I wouldn't even notice. But I noticed it through the window. I thought, yeah, great touch, Jamie Dagg. It's the director's name. And then the character goes outside, and I'm like, wait, what? Dude, you just got lazy. Don't. What are you, what are you thinking? Um, and here's maybe the other a, one. Oh, go ahead, Kelly Wand. Maybe it's a crossover to the happening, and it's not a real win, and it can die. Kelly Wand, I like your attempts to uh, cover for the continuity error, but none of them are working. <laughs> and on this date. Uh, here's the other issue. There's a plot point involving a safe full of money, right? Uh, like Fast Five. Yeah, exactly. Because it's hard to get into a safe. You're going to have to do something wacky like pull it yeah. through the streets behind a, a, a car or something. Yeah, it's the only way to open it. So during this, this, this situation, there's like a home invasion situation, and a character needs to get into the safe. And the person who lives at the house is there in the house. So naturally you're thinking there's going to be a standoff. The character is going to say, you know, hey, open the safe or, I'll, or I'll, I'll, I'll beat you up. And the other person has to hold out and open the safe or not open the safe. And this is, this is tension, right? The safe is a dramatic device. The, 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 mm. the, the, the villain wants what's inside the, the safe, and the hero is the only one that can get him in there. So the hero is locked in a bathroom, <laughs> and the villain is like, well, fine. I'm just going to go try to bang into the safe. And, and the villain has uh, a, a crowbar and a pistol. So the villain comes up to the safe and sort of considers like it, and then or the sort of, of Half Life stands back from the safe, levels the pistol at it, and you hear a shot, and then the safe is no longer an issue. One bullet apparently can shoot open a safe. Oh, I thought the trick was going to be to hit ricochets and kills him. That's what you would think, right? I was thinking too, like that guy's an idiot that's yeah. just going to bounce back and hit him. But nope, it apparently uh, they decided, well, let's not have. If you're going to do that. Don't put the money in a safe. Just put it in a drawer somewhere. That's the stupidest thing in the world to introduce a safe as a plot point and then have a single pistol bullet. <laughs> just That's not how you circumvent a safe. It's also a, a dumb way to introduce a crowbar. Well, you see him banging at the safe with the crowbar, and it's not enough. Uh -oh. So he resorts to the pistol. I need these firearms. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to fire a, tw a 22 or a 38 round caliber round into the safe to bust it open. I thought it was going to be like a phantasm thing where he actually, or, or like chopped, where he has to use the ingredients to make the safe. Like right, exactly, Kelly Rond. Right. Like he could have MacGyvered it or something fancy yeah. like that. But. Or maybe That's it was just a cheap safe who knows but it's bad writing though because I, really, I really do think it, it's it's so a uh, screwy continuity error on the part of the director and it is bad writing is don't introduce a safe like a safe is very specific language for an inviolable place why can't he just uh, shoot the lock then on the bathroom door and get the guy out and have him open the safe well that's the thing is that that is someone's dealing with the the, the person in the bathroom this guy's dealing with the safe uh, and he shoots the safe open it's like never mind we're out of here it's dumb that's pretty bad writing. Because you could just go, oh, the bullet doesn't work. Wait, I know. I'll shoot this couch or something. And then it opens. Yeah. Up. That's good writing. So <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, I, I do recommend a Sweet Virginia, specific, specifically for this Christopher Abbott fella. He's just captivating. Uh, 
So, all right. Mm-hmm. Now, sorry, Dingus, I interrupted you. That, yes, okay. Before you go to that, which was it? River, the thing where somebody hits their head on a table. Yeah. yeah. So River, it's basic. I don't. It's not. A, it's the very first thing that happens. This guy uh, gets in a drunken fight with someone in Laos, in a little bar in Laos, and he accidentally drowns the guy because they're fighting in a river. Yeah. And rather than just go to the police and say I got in a brawl, like he tries to flee. He uh, and then the cops That's are like, insane. "Wait, there's a body." So it's sort of like you know, if you just get in a brawl and you explain, and he's he was in the brawl for a noble reason, like he was protecting someone. If you get in a fight and you accidentally kill someone, you know, and if you if you're smart enough to have gotten through medical school, <laughs> why don't you go explain to the cops what happened rather than right. be on the lam in the middle of rural Laos? Yeah. See, this is his cranium dermata, and what I did was use this wood grain. He's a doctor. See. The, the reason I ask that, Tom, is that I went to a party last night, a Christmas party, um, and during the white elephant gift exchange part of the party, um, there are little kids like running around, like tiny little kids, and halfway through the gift exchange, you know, when you're, okay, who's next? Are you going to steal something? Are you going to take a new gift? Uh, suddenly, this kid starts screaming, and this woman carry, and I'm sort of standing on the periphery of it. This woman starts carrying this bloody child out of the room. There's this big black table. Not as a gift. No, not as a gift, and not as a stolen gift. But as, there's a sharp black table in the middle of the room, and this kid smacked really? his head on the table and cut his head so badly that he's just bleeding and people are like should we what do we do should we call 911 no do we call an ambulance and and those people just left with their kid apparently to go to urgent care but tom talking about somebody hitting a table immediately made me think of this little kid last night it just happened last night we know in movies that's a, that's a plot device where yeah no, normally when people fall down, they put their hands in front of them or whatever. So in a movie, it's a lot of times a plot device where somebody smacks the back of their head on a rock or against a table. Right. or right. Uh, You've got to have convenient ways for people to get killed in movies that don't generally happen in the real world. Right. Uh, so yeah, those guys, they're, they're, with, they're having a brawl in very shallow water, and he knocks the guy out face down, and he drowns. Yeah. Although I'm well, sure it's happened. This is a toddler, so the toddlers don't know to put their hands up in front of their heads. Hopefully the kid's okay. I think he had just had to go get stitches. The irony was that one of the gifts for him was a chair. <laughs> All right. Well, Dingus, give us this week's three by three now. Let's, All right. Let's get the serious. Three. None of this nonsense. Yeah. Right, sorry about the so, nonsense. So three by three is, uh, you know, a topic about movies. Uh, not like what's your favorite movie, but uh, a thematic topic about movies. And so my thematic topic about movies was your favorite times when a character yells no. Now, it's not your Thomas, topic. I know Tom has called me out on in the past. It was just a character saying no. I qualified it uh, sort of by saying I thought of it by thinking of how a character yells no, like no. That well, you, you said I would prefer it if they yell. That was the way you, you put it. Ah, all right. Thank you for putting it that way. Yes, I would prefer it if they yell. Um, my number one runner up, which almost wound up as my number three choice, is a character not yelling. But all three choices, since I said I preferred them, are all people yelling no. All right. I'll be introducing uh, the next topic for us, so I'll start us off. My number three pick is why nobody yelling no is ever a good idea in a movie unless it's a joke. (laughs) 
And oh, maybe wow. one of you guys. So it's it, it's it's ridiculous. And, and the last time that someone yelled no and it wasn't dumb was because I was of an because I'd never seen it before, and I was feeling a similar psychological shock. And that was Luke in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and I forget it. Does he yell no because his hand gets cut off, or because he finds out who his dad is? That's it's the latter. Yeah. yeah. So that that's because still, he and that, says no. That's not true. That's impossible. That's why he yells no. Yeah. yeah, and then he goes, no, and, and that, you know, as a kid, I didn't know that was dumb. It was only when I saw it in other movies that, that I realized, oh, okay, this is kind of dumb. It's a little bit overwrought. Uh, he says no a lot, too. So. It's a little bit overwrought. It's completely overwrought. And, and right. you know, watching through these movies in preparation for our next movie that we're going to see the, kind of inspired this topic. So I'm glad you chose this. And it's it's the last – I think it's the last legitimate use of yelling no non-ironically or non-humorously. Yeah. I think but I love the way he does it. He just – he chews on the word. He chews on it. No. No. I mean the thing is it's, it's, Mark it's, Hamill says the word. His mouth is just – Yeah, he really, it really is like a – it's a distorted – He looks really sad. Yeah. He looks sad and his hair is all plastered down. His hands are He looks like off. a ring mask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a little grotesque looking in a way. It's like a joker, ironically. And the thing is, it's part of why I'm willing to cut it slack is it's 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 space opera. It's like the opera part of space opera. And he's gonna he's about to commit suicide right afterwards. Like when he he doesn't think he's gonna land in a shoot, right? Like he's yeah, he's no, he's giving up. He's he's he he says I I I totally agree with you on that, and I don't think everybody does. But I think what do you mean everybody like people think. That he knows there's a shoot. Well, no. Although when he lands he on the antenna, he be... starts carrying again. Yeah, why doesn't he like let go at the antenna and just drop down into the Bespin's core or whatever? Right. Good point, actually. Because he can, because he has contact with Leia all of a sudden. I don't know. Genghis is bringing the Force into it. That's not how the Force works. <laughs> oh right, it's midichlorians. I forgot. <laughs> But that when is he, a good point. If he really wanted to commit suicide, don't hang on to that antenna. When he telepathically writes Leah, hey, I'm hanging from an antenna, come back here. <laughs> does it, does it, doesn't the look on her face, because she's like, wait, Luke's saying something stupid to me. Like, doesn't part of his thought go, by the way, the reason I'm on this antenna is because Vader's my dad. Possibly yours. <laughs> I love I don't that think he's, as as him telepathically writing her, as if he's yeah. sending her a telepathic postcard. Hey, Leah, Leah, bitch, wake up! Huh? What? You know what? If Vader, if I was Luke and Vader cut off my hand, and I'm all, ow, fucker, and then he goes, "I'm your father," my reaction would have been, "Huh?" <laughs> <laughs> Next and topic, huh? Yeah, I'm just saying, because I'm a different person. <laughs> All right, well, Kelly Wan, give me an example of someone yelling, or, or excuse me, saying the word no. Whether or not you appease Dingus's desire that the character yell that word, that's up to you. But what's your number three pick? I like your what you said on yours, because my entire list backs up your thesis. <laughs> Even though they're all different, like versions of no, they're all they're all. Yours is still true in that Empire Strikes Back was the last non-ironic good no. Right. 
So my number three is an ironic no. Like, see, this is why no's stupid. It was in the motion picture Hot Rod, directed <laughs> by Jorma Tacone. And there's a scene where Isla Fisher... Is that how you say her fucking name? Or is it Isla? It's gotta be Isla. Isn't it just Isla? Isla? Like it's not like Isle, like Gilligan's Isle. Wait, is it I-L-S-A or I-S-L-A? It's I-S-L-A. Yeah, it's gotta be Isla. But I feel like I, someone has to have said Isla at some point. I went, oh, that's it. Like, and that taught me how to say it. Could be. I mean, we were, we were pronouncing Margot Robbie's name Margot Robbie for some reason. Yeah. Who knows how women say their names? They get, they're very particular about it. So like, it's not it's like, remember when Isla. Catherine It's I not like La Isla Bonita. Caroline and Caroline are almost the same. And is, this like, an oh. a, is this the uh, Sandberg movie? Yeah, it's Andy Sandberg. And so... Uh, Jesus. The 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 douchebag boyfriend in it is Will Arnett, and uh, <laughs> so Andy Samberg want, likes Isla Fisher, but she's with Will Arnett, and she, even though he's terrible, like from the beginning of the movie, and so the breaking point is he runs over some a raccoon, <laughs> and then he cackles excitedly, and then she's all, "That's it, we're done, goodbye, Will or whatever," and then she walks off, and the music's all. And then he's watching her go from the car. He's all, babe, no, no, babe, babe, no, no, babe, wait, babe. And then the final thing he says, he goes, actually, he doesn't say no for a long time. He just says, babe, wait, babe, wait, babe, babe, wait, babe, babe, babe. And then he ends with, babe, no way. And then it cuts off in the middle of the way. Like in Meyerowitz stories. <laughs> yeah. There's a mid-whack cut-off. Yeah, Meyer wits him. But I think his no is instantly succeeded by wah. <laughs> and you only hear, like, one A, and then it cuts away. Well, the music. It's pretty funny. I support that movie. And Jarma Tacone, who also went on to direct the classic film, MacGruber. Oh, oh what? You buried the Whoa. lead. If I'd have known that, Kelly Wan, I would have been paying much closer attention. Yeah. And he's the brother in it, too. He's the one who says, cool beans. And he's like, he and McShane's natural son. And Sandberg's the adopted one, so he has to keep fighting him. Oh, wait. It was directed by Akiva Schaefer and written by Pam Brady. Forget what I just said. Drummond oh. Jones in. He plays the brother. Sorry. Didn't direct it. All right. at all. We'll all fix right. that post. I'm going to stop paying attention, then. I love that you somehow made Tom make a connection between Hot Rod and Meyerowitz's story. Yeah, instantly. That's what I think of when people are now get cut off mid-screen. It's a That's way. true. Yeah. So Green or uh, Baumbach got it from Akiva Schaefer, or whatever name I just said two seconds ago. <laughs> as long After as it's not Akiva Goldsman, I'm fine. Wee! Dingus, give us then an example of what we should be doing with this topic. What's your third favorite? No. Right, here's a quote from, or some dialogue from it. We must withdraw. No, no, we must. So this is from a movie called Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Mm. Um, <laughs> and this is not ironic. Nebula. This, is this is completely non-ironic. Uh, I did none of my choices are ironic. So you two are both ironic. Huh. Uh so this is when um, uh, the Reliant has been commandeered by Khan and his uh, 
his crew of uh, genetically enhanced uh, super dudes has taken over the uh, the Reliant, and uh, unbeknownst to the Enterprise, uh, this crew is not the original crew of the Reliant, and Kirk being a ding dong doesn't put up his shell uh, his shields in time and the reliant attacks them and so uh kirk captain kirk oh i'm sorry admiral admiral kirk uh n- knows that uh there's a, a, a super secret code that he can use that if they program it in the console of the enterprise and then they can control the console of the reliant this is why things work on a starship just in case some rogue crew takes co- takes uh, control over that other starship. And so uh, he instructs them to figure out what the code is. Uh, he gets Spock to put that code through. And as Khan is waiting for Kirk to transmit the plans for the Genesis device, <laughs> um, he instead transmits this code that controls the console for the other ship thereby enabling the Enterprise to take the shields down on the Reliant. And once they take the shields down, they can... And the Enterprise is completely, almost completely disabled. They just have a few phaser blasts left in them. But the the only way they can get those phaser blasts to do anything is if those shields come down. So they take the shields down, and um, Khan's first-in-command goes, the shields are down! And Khan says, well... Put them back up. I can't figure out how to do that. And Khan says, where's the override? And they can't figure out how to do that. Enterprise shoots its few phaser blasts, ba-doo, 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 uh, which destroys or uh, breaks the bridge, parts of the bridge of the Reliant. And his first-in-command says, we have to withdraw. And I love it when Khan yells, no, because he... He has, he's had, I mean, he's, this is the Moby Dick moment for him. He's got Kirk in his grasp. He could finally take revenge on this man after all of these years, after being, uh, after being sent to this horrible little planet, he can finally take revenge. But Kirk is once again outsmarted him and he's like, no, no, we don't want to leave now. Uh, cause we've got him. Uh, and his second in command says, no, you're superior. Enterprise is not going anywhere. We have to leave. So I just love when Khan yells no there. Kelly Wand, thoughts? <laughs> you you so, guys are going to have to do the Star Trek talk. I can't do any of the, the lifting on this. I'm out of my element. Uh, <coughs> who says no again? <laughs> also, actually, I do wonder, are they actually called phaser blasts? like, Phasers don't. I thought phasers blast. were the little guns in their hands. The phasers are like beams, like staplers. right? Yeah, the stapler guns. Is no, Spock a, those are those are those are the trans the transmorphers or whatever. Those oh, they're allowed in the army again, by the way. Trump Trump uh, relaxed it. Transmorphers. Yeah, transmorphers are allowed in the uh, in the armed forces now. So your problem is with the yeah, word phasers. Of, out of all that I just said, your problem is with the word That's phaser. That's the only part he heard. I wonder no, if, no, shi- I wonder if the bla- ships like, can have fl- like Do phasers stun. have blast? Because I think of a phaser as a beam. The photon torpedoes, they're little discrete shots. But right. a phaser, oh, it's like a proton. beam, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, so the phasers are like laser blasts, like a, like a bigger version of the things they carry around. 
uh, like in Star Wars when they say so like a phaser is way too elegant. It doesn't blast a, a, a blunderbuss blasts. A phaser is not elegant. A lightsaber is elegant for a more elegant for a different blasts. time. See, Diggis is so easily led. <laughs> different. <time. laughs> All right, my second favorite. No, I did some cheating here because what I wanted to do Just like Kirk. Just like basically I Kobirashi Maru'd the hell out of this topic. Here's what I did. <laughs> this character doesn't even say no, but it's my favorite no in that it's just a shake of a head. Like Ryan Gosling oh. shaking his head no at Emma Stone uh, in the like after he honks the horn and pulls up beside her and she flips him off and he's just shaking his head no. I love his withering no when she requests uh, Iran. You know, flock of seagulls from a serious pianist, a serious musician, and he's looking at her, just shaking his head no while he's playing. That's his signature move with her. That's it's totally a signature move, and I love that. But he doesn't say no, and Dingus did make it clear it had to be a no. Say get out of here, Emma. So (laughs) here's what I found, though. Here's what I found, and it's perfect because it's Ryan Gosling saying no, and he's actually yelling it. This is the only time – well, no, the Luke one is a yell. In in Nice Guys, when Fat Russell Crowe – and good lord, I love me some Fat Russell Crowe. He's so fat in Nice Guys. I love it about him. When Fat Russell Crowe comes up to his house and first meets Ryan Gosling and and punches him – and then says, okay, now I'm going to break your arm. I want you to tell your doctor it's a spiral fracture in the tibia. And just hearing that, and he's got his arm pinned behind him. I mean, that just looks so painful. So Ryan Gosling's reaction as he is realizing what Russell Crowe is about to do, it's like a little dog barking. He's going, no, 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 yeah. no. Like, or it's like a child who's about to be given a shot who refuses to take the shot from the doctor. And he's yeah. on the ground with his arm. He's just going, no, no. And he's, he's so petulant about it. <laughs> yeah, Russell Crowe broke it by sitting on it because he's so fat. By the way, so well, which he, is your is your choice, La La Land or no? no it, well, he doesn't say no in La La Land, but I love that in La La Land. But I did stumble Head across shake. this in Nice Guys, where he oh. does bark out the word no, no, and there's like four of them in quick succession. It really is like a dog barking or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, I should like that movie, except that daughter's annoying to me. Oh my god, I, you can't say that about her anymore, Kelly Wan. No. She's so good. Especially after we saw her in The Beguiled. And I just realized when she was a little tiny cute monkey in a movie called, oh shoot, uh, These Final Hours. There's a kind of a cool Australian apocalypse movie where uh, pieces of the sun, I don't know, they broke off and they're hitting the earth or whatever. So uh, the earth is getting burnt <laughs> up. But, but because of the speed of fire or whatever, Australia knows 12 hours in advance that, uh, okay, America's burned up. Okay, now India's burned up. They know this wall of fire is coming towards them. That's so the order it happens in? It, pardon? That's the order? America's and then India? Uh, it's, it's going all over. The, all right, all right. Just, I'm just pretending it's happening. You're, right, right. I'm just, you're like my Orson Welles right now. Right, they're getting the reports <laughs> as certain continents are getting wiped out by this wall of fire. It's destroying all life on Earth, and they know they've got 12 hours left. Um, Fuck, what do you do? Exactly. What do you do? And this one character, he's really not into his girlfriend, and he doesn't know what to do. Should he party with these people? He finds this one lost little girl who needs to be taken home, and and it's this weird Alice in Wonderland kind of like nightmare journey of him trying to get this little girl home through this mass of hedonistic uh, Australian youths who know they're going to die soon. 
And the little girl is is that Angora rice chick, and she's so good. She's a cute oh. little monkey in it. She's like a Chloe Moritz age. Um, and she was in Beguiled, and we loved her in that. And Kelly Wan, you're wrong. She's so good in Nice Guys with with Ryan Gosling. Why do yeah, she is? I also didn't. I also don't like Chloe Grace Moritz since she filled out. Like she was cool as Hit Girl, but then as Carrie. No, I know. Yeah. I mean, we've talked on this podcast. We've talked about this. She, her, she's falling apart. I mean, there's no whatever promise was there. I think is being squandered. Chloe Moritz, yeah, she's like a child career. star that no one. No, I yeah. think her career's been mis- mismanaged, and I wouldn't <laughs> lay it on her. And it has nothing to do with her feelings. Oh. It's just she's been mismanaged. But this Angora Rice chick, like you look at her being from yeah. a little tiny monkey in these final hours to her in Beguiled and in Nice Guys, and especially keeping in mind, you know, this is a little girl with an Australian accent, and you don't hear her saying the word anything. She can speak English or American English correctly. Tom She's hates great. that. You're wrong. You're crazy. Uh, I don't, I'm love- saying her character in the movie. I'm not talking about her acting. I'm just saying she's kind of a bland, perky, disex machina. I'm so excited that Tom br- brought up Iran from uh, La La Land uh, because today I have a Facebook friend who posted a picture of a bunch of seagulls on the beach, and and he he typed in Iran, Iran so far away. So I found that clip from La La Land, which I, I was not expecting Tom to bring up tonight, and I just posted that clip. And so I listened to that scene like five times because I love that movie so much and I love the the way that they look at each other when that doofy singer says okay oh we have a request that's a that's excellent <laughs> he's like all right tickle those keys <laughs> and he's just shaking his head no that's my favorite no but because he's not vocalizing it I'm gonna have to go with nice guys <laughs> I would I would have accepted it because I, I actually watched it so many times today I, I just love that moment where he's playing that. It's, it's and, funny. In, in Nice Guys, there's a couple of times, and I guess this is a Ryan Gosling thing, where he does that start, you know, where he's startled by something and he jumps. Like there's a couple of those in Nice Guys that I was like, oh, yeah, I remember how, those, how great those were in La La Land. Oh, the start, like when he comes in his apartment. In, yeah, uh, when, when he sees Rosemary DeWitt and when he walks by the electrical thing in the Griffith Observatory, he does that start. Uh, there's two of them in Nice Guys, one where uh, he sees a body – and oh, there was one other one, but yeah, there are oh, two, definite, uh, two definite, two uh, definite of those Ryan Gosling. They're like Three Stooges kind of moves in a way. Um, oh, I need to see Nice Guys again, and then because 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 there's that moment where he uh, doesn't he reach into a jar for something. Uh, <laughs> well, his, uh, they keep a gun. It's a plot point. They a keep gun. a gun in a cookie yeah. jar. Yeah, and a, yeah, yeah. And, and it's also, I think, Nice Guys is best the second time around when you can just realize, okay, this isn't a great detective story, but I'm just going to watch Ryan Gosling and uh, Fat Russell Crowe hanging out with each other. And on that level, it, it's uh, great fun for a second viewing. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Well done. Speaking Kelly of cookie Wand. jars. Yes, Kelly Wand? <laughs> I'm not a little unclear on why he's shaking his head at her at the party when it's Emma Stone throwing herself at him. She's, she's not. not. She's insulting him. She's making him play uh, Iran. She's she remembers him because, because he because he was a jerk to her. He was a little brusque, Dingus. But look brusque. at the length she's going to to make me play music for her. You That's also got to realize he's not inter- he's in love with Jazz Kelly Wand. He doesn't have time for a girl. His Rosemary DeWitt yeah. has been trying to set him up. He's not interested. He's, but he's Emma Stone's fl- the jazz of women. 
He doesn't know that yet. <clears throat> He's about, well, if she goes, hey, play Iran, she's obviously a little jazzy, like the average girl. Would just but here's the her. thing. He knows that she's just getting him back for him being right. brusque <clears throat> at, uh, at, at J.K. Simmons' restaurant. But it's a getting back cute. I don't think he reads her the way you do, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I don't think so. I think she's the, she's the blues of women, not the jazz. Uh, oh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wand, give me your second favorite no in a movie. Preferably no. Oh. No! <laughs> Dingus recognizes it. Tom, my number two favorite no in a motion picture is Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith. <clears throat> because I can't believe this is happening. You really thought this wasn't going to happen? I mean, come on, you were asking for this. <laughs> I was hoping not. Please, yeah, well, all right. Well, I mean, Tom because, kind of beat me to the punch because it it's my example of like, this is why you can't do no anymore right. after Empire Strikes Back because here's what happens. But <laughs> I also like it because he, and I haven't heard this said, so I'm copywriting this idea. <laughs> 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 He's screaming, no, and I'm paraphrasing a little, but he is Luke's father, as we learned in Empire Strikes Back. So it's like we're seeing, oh, look, this is where Luke gets his nose from, because this is his dad. So if you watch the movies in order, it's kind of a telegraph, because you go, oh, Darth Vader's screaming, no, and then he's going to pass that gene on to his son. So then if you watch him out of order, you'll go, wait, this is Luke's the no guy? Oh, my God, they have to be related. He says no, they says no. The thing is, I am sure that George Lucas is so proud of himself for that. <laughs> and that that's partly responsible for why that sounds really weird. Is he's trying to make it sound as grotesque and distorted and distressed right. as, as Mark Hamill uh, in that scene. And it's just – it's a voiceover on a guy in a big suit. I mean it looks so dumb, and James I'm Earl sure George Lucas is like, yeah, this is a nod to Empire that I'm putting in yeah. here. Everybody will make the connection. It's super smart. Also, he's stumbling around like Frankenstein while he's yeah. saying it. He's, he's literally retarded. Like he doesn't know how to walk. He's like, duh, duh, no, I don't know how to read. Wow, and that's your second favorite of all the people yelling no ever in movies, Kelly Wand. Wow. Well, it's the funniest one, too. Like, I never laughed harder at anyone saying no. Yeah. So, thank and, you, George Lucas. I didn't realize... You laugh, you, you laugh even more when you see the uh, subtitled... I think it's a, like a, a South Korean <laughs> or North Korean version. What's, Do you remember what he says then? Oh, is that where Do Not Want comes from? Yeah, Do Not Want. Right, right. A, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. You know, for yeah. that reason alone, I'm, I'm, I'm. Thank you, George Lucas. That's a great meme. I do like that. Yeah. That's a studio note to George Lucas from Korea. <laughs> Wait, Dennis Rodman is our studio note to North Korea <laughs> from Trump's movie. All right, Dingus, give us your second favorite no, preferably, <laughs> Dingus. I would like for it to be yelled. All right. Uh, here's a quote from it. What the hell are you doing here, Fred? What the? No, no. So uh. this is from the movie I Am Legend, and this is a Will Smith. Uh, Fred. Who sees Who's Fred? Fred is his mannequin friend who stands outside the video store. I thought he said <laughs> on a chick do. in the mannequin store. What? I thought there was That's like a chick he was hitting on in the store. 
Oh yeah, but outside the store are Fred and I don't know what her name. Oh is. right, okay, right, right. It's like he knows everybody at the store, and she's a mysterious young right. woman. I said right, right, right. And Fred's wearing the hoodie. He's like, Fred, I like I I like that sweatshirt. Don't leave it around, Fred. And he goes in. And he talks to everybody in the store, including Hank, who's the guy who's running the counter. And then there's a bunch of other people in there. And he goes through the store. He's midway through the G's, and he looks over and he sees that female mannequin who's got the short really cute short black hair and he's like oh man and uh and he leaves and he and he you know he rents he quote unquote rents the video from hank i think it's hank who's another one of the mannequins and he goes out and says goodbye to fred and then he goes driving off with sam and then he's out in the cornfields like pulling corn uh that's not a euphemism um uh and telling Sam, look, I'll say hi to her tomorrow. What was I going to say to her? Like, hi, you want to come see some uh, rat viruses? Uh, all right, I'll say hi to her tomorrow. Uh, and then after he captures, after he, after a little while later, after Sam goes into the building um, and he captures one of the infected, uh, then he's driving along after he captures one of the infected to do more experiments for human trials because I think rat number six is doing all right. Um, he's driving past uh, one of the bridges in Manhattan and he sees Fred. And there's this weird moment where you look over there and it looks like Fred's head turns and it's a mannequin standing over there. And, you know, at this point, Will Smith's character is really just on the border of insanity, if not already there, because he's totally alone in Manhattan, only with his dog, dealing with this sense of isolation um, and making friends with mannequins. And one of these mannequins is somehow in front of this other building. This this mannequin, Fred, that's his friend, that ha- that is this guy that he, I don't know who would be a friend, but an acquaintance that you would see outside like a store. Like, hey, how's it going, Fred? Uh, is standing over there on, on the other side of this bridge. And he's like, Fred, what are you doing out here? And so he pulls up in front of that and he goes, Fred, what are you doing? Fred, if you're real, you better say something right now. Fred, no, no. And he doesn't want to have to shoot Fred, but he's totally afraid. He doesn't understand how in the world this mannequin could have wound up there. And it turns out to be a trap to bring it for a full circle to Star Wars. I can see Will Smith yelling no. Too. It sounds like a very Will Smithism. I'm, I'm it, sort of in is, my head hearing that. Well, it, it's not only that. It's it, actually you have posted a GIF of that. Uh, when somebody in the GIF thread didn't post a GIF, I believe you posted a GIF of Will Smith doing that, and it's a very fairly popular GIF of Will Smith going no, no. Which just gets at this idea that yelling no, it's never a good because it's a me. It's if it's me, this meme worthy. <laughs> it's ironic. Yeah. People make memes because things are, are, cliche, are uh, cliches. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I'm not saying it's not a cliche. I just love that moment because mainly, mainly because of what is going on with Sam at the time. I think it's the writer's fault because he doesn't have enough faith in the actor to just look shocked. Okay, well here, why can't somebody yell no? What else here, here's why I think it's because I think it is it. it uh, 
you know, cliches, I actually generally don't have a problem with cliches because they're cliches for a reason. But there were a few no's that I was looking for that actually weren't no's because I think the actor kind of knew better. And the one mm. that, that really came to mind that I knew I wanted to pick because I love this moment and she's so good in it, she's not saying no. She just yells, and that's the moment in Fury Road when uh, Furiosa discovers that the green place doesn't exist anymore. She, oh. she's, she's stunned. And she walks away apart from the group, and she kneels in the sand, and there's a, there's a silhouette a shot of her from the side that uh, George Miller shoots, and it's very clearly composed to show that she's now isolated herself from everyone else. She's walked away. She lets her, her arm fall off, and she looks up, and she yells no. That's how I remembered it, except she doesn't yell no. She just yells. It's just like a – it's just a frustration. Oh, sort it's a of like scream. An, just an inchoate or – it's not even in coax. It's not going anywhere. It's just a scream. She's not about to say anything. It's just it's yelling. Um, and clearly, a lesser filmmaker or a lesser script would have her going no, because <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> sensation. But I think George Miller is a writer, and certainly Charlize Theron is an actor. Know that you don't have to vocalize the word no. Just just make yeah. it this explosion of sound and emotion, this expression. You know, you don't have to say the word no. And the other one I was looking for, uh, Keanu Reeves shooting his gun in Point Break. You know, I thought where, where he's letting Bodie get away. I was sure he yelled no, but even even Catherine Bigelow from way back when knew. Right. Okay, Keanu, you don't have to say no. Just yell and shoot the gun. <laughs> it's a sign of a shitty director because it's like most of the time it's a telegraph death. It's like a character's like Lois Lane is Superman. It would be Superman. Right, 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 right. He's like, I'm gonna go do this thing, and she's all, No, Superman, no. And it's well, see, like, one- how would she know that's gonna kill him? He's Superman. She wouldn't go no unless he's gonna die. Thanks, Kelly, when you say it's it's the sign of a shitty director, I would say more it's a sign of like uh, histrionics, and at times that works. Uh, you know, uh, Star Wars is space opera. You know, histrionics is fine sure. in certain situations. Uh, e- even you know what's going on with with Khan. Everybody, you know, Kirk's Khan. That works because that's like space opera level. Well, it's stuff. the way they were made. Too. They're old. Yeah, but uh, but I think in a realistic sort of thing, in something like like Fury Road, uh, to have someone kneel and yell no up at the sky. Uh, the, you know, that's when you that have an exceptional operatic and, and histrionic. I don't think necessarily works. Like you just go, let's see, let's see how you do a no, and then if Charlize Theron is an epic one, you go, like, all right, <laughs> right, 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 exactly. But she does. I was sure in my memory too. I was like, yep, that's the no I'm going to pick. And I went back and watched it, and she doesn't, she doesn't vocalize an actual word. Yeah. I think I there's where uh, you. I love the difference between the word histrionic and cliche. Because I think there's a there's a huge gap between them, and I just love that you sure. introduced drama and in conversation. Yeah. Like like Francis, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like I don't think Francis Lawrence that that moment in I Am Legend. I don't think that's histrionic. I think that's just a Will Smithism. That's just yeah. his no no. Like, and that's fine because it's you know Will Smith is his charming self in I Am Legend, and that's part of why that movie works. Uh, I'm, I, he probably does that kind of no thing to the aliens in Independence Day. I imagine. I uh, see him go no no no. <laughs> Oh, he no, says, you ain't shoot that green shit at me. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> so this gets to then my my favorite no in a movie, and this is actually what I thought of for uh, the moment when Dingus uh, mentioned this. It, it's not histrionic. It's super quiet, um, but it is a fundamental statement about what this movie is getting at, and it's kind of a cheat too because it's really a play, but uh, – I think the definitive version of it, I've seen stage productions of the play, and I just can't get the movie version out of my head. That's kind of cemented in my head as the definitive presentation, the definitive actors doing this. Um, 
And I'll just give you a line. Uh, because this line, which is spoken at the end of the play, and I think is the point of the play, uh, is just incredibly beautiful to me. And it's about the word no. Uh, and the line is, there must have been a time in the beginning when we could have said no. Somehow we missed it. And this is a line spoken by uh, Gildenstern, I believe, as he's mm. sitting with a noose around his neck at the end of the movie, alongside Rosencrantz, his friend. Uh, and Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Gildenstern is this absurd existentialist play about minor characters in Hamlet uh, who have been summoned uh, for a reason they don't understand, and they're given a task they don't understand. Uh, they don't understand why they're there. Uh, they end up getting murdered by this guy they thought was their friend at the end, uh, and it's they they intersect with little bits of the play Hamlet. And when they're not on stage in the play Hamlet, they're, they're sort of exploring the physical universe and what's going on and, and the absurdity of things and, and patterns and, and the absurdity of trying to understand the world. Uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern is, is a beautiful existential statement about the limits of what we can know and how frustrating that is. Uh, and I think this idea that there must have been a time in the beginning when we could have said no and somehow we missed it, that is his overall assessment of – the play is that when they were called for, and it's something they talk about a lot in the movie, is why were we called for? You know, I, I vaguely remember we were summoned, and they were. The king called for them to come look into what's the deal with Hamlet. Uh, is he's saying, well, we, we could have said no, but we missed it. We didn't know what we were in for. And here we are in this horrible situation about to die. And I think this is kind of Tom Stoppard's um, observation about life is it sucks sometimes, and it's tragic and painful, and we don't understand it, and in the end, we're going to die, and why is this happening? You know, Did we ever have the opportunity to say, no, I don't want any of that. I'm going to opt out, because if we did, we missed it. We forgot it. We didn't know. Nobody signed up to be born. Uh, we weren't given the option, and if we were, we missed it, so we're stuck dealing with life. Uh, that's kind of, I think, the statement, and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are, are dead. Uh, the play and the movie is a lot more playful than that. It's not super bleak, but it is ultimately kind of nihilistic and, and existential in that regard. And I love – and it's Tim Roth that has that line. He's got yeah. some of the best lines in there. Um, so that's my favorite use of the word no. It's not being yelled. It's just this kind of philosophical pondering about the fact that uh, participating in life is not an option that we were given. We're forced into this, and we don't yeah. understand it. Right. Uh, so there would you go. We have, would we have turned down the offer if we'd known? You know, that kind of depends on who you ask, doesn't it? Uh, it right. Depends on. I mean, I love being alive. I love things that happen to me. But yeah. if I'd known that, uh, I don't know. In the end, does it all work out? Because dying is going to suck. Yeah. You know. I mean, I. I. Yeah. It's one of the things that I've. I, yeah, I mean, terrible things happen, and, and as you get older, I think life gets like less fun. And I, I don't know. There might be a point when I'm older, when I'm dying, when I'm kind of thinking, you know, on the whole, I would have rather Fuck avoided this. all of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's what that line is tapping into is if I ever had the chance to say no to opt out of this, I, I missed it. I don't remember being asked. I don't remember being given the option. Because you would have had to be alive to be offered the choice. But well, no, there's the paradox. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but maybe we get we get another one. 
Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's kind of funny. And it, this is one <laughs> of the reasons, too, that I love Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, the, the play and the movie, is it, it does – you know, Tom Stoppard wrote Brazil. He's not – He's a comedian. Soft. Tom Stoppard is so playful in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and part of the playfulness is this idea that they have to relive this every time there's a production of Hamlet. You know, is that there, yep. there's this idea of things recurring, like this whole yeah. idea too that the coin keeps flipping heads. They're not in the real world, and the Player King, Richard Dreyfuss too, by the way, he's so much. He's having so much fun with the yeah. Player King in the movie mm. version. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss's explanations of things really highlight the theatricality of their experience and of life in general. Uh, and just there, there is this idea that, that uh, yeah, it, it, they're going to go around again and again, and each time they're going to get stuck doing the same thing. And I don't know that that's necessarily about reincarnation, but it's about how often this happens and how, how it happens to everyone. And it's this shared experience that we all have. None of us volunteered for this. And, we're and all the being horror of finding out the name of the movie you're in. Right. Well, <laughs> they actually, I don't think, are around for that part. <laughs> yeah, that's they true. Don't know they're they're, they're, they're they don't know they're in a movie about an alien bursting out of somebody's chest. Right. We don't, we're all uh, uh, extras in a Donald Trump. I didn't think of this as a Groundhog Day kind of situation, and I love it now. Well, it's clearly what he's getting at with the heads yeah. being flipped, and certainly yeah. a bunch of stuff that Richard Dreyfuss says, and especially Dingus too. The whole play within a play within a play, because you yeah, know yeah, yeah. the yeah. the player king when he when he shows up and they do a play for him, and then he does the play for the king, which is in in, in the play. Uh, it's just this beautiful nested doll yeah. of narratives that, yeah, that yeah. Tom Stoppard made. Matricia do you like Hamlet, Tom? The play? the play, yeah, yeah, good, good lord, yeah, of course. Yeah it's, yeah, it's my favorite. It's one of my favorite pieces of writing, and I love that you brought this up because I watched the huge four-hour Hamlet when I thought we were going to do a Murder on the Orient Express podcast, <laughs> um, and I have I had objections with it. Uh, you know, I saw it when it first came out. I think it came out on Christmas Day, whenever, what year, uh, and I just thought, you know, come on, it's it's a gimmick to film every single line in this play because Shakespeare was writing stuff that you can't film. He's, he's writing poetry about things that are filmable and, and then you, you can film the sunset. You don't have to say things about the sunset. Or oh, right, right. Right. Um, and so at the time, I mean, it's kind of a chore watching it then watching it now was Actually, quite a pleasure, even given how t- terrible some of the performances are. Um, you know, Jack Lemmon is just uh, poor guy. Um, but so much of it is so freaking good. And I guess it's just because of the writing. I just love that play so much. And I can watch any of the performances of it, even the Mel Gibson one, although I prefer not to. But watching this one again in in preparation for watching Murder uh, – on the Order and Express was just a delight. It was it's it was it's a delight to hear those words. Those words are unbelievable. They're like a drug. I don't know what it is about that language. Did any of us see the Twelfth Night that Joss Whedon shot in his own house? I tried. Oh. I watched a lot of it. Yeah, it didn't. You didn't like it? Work for me, but I I mean I like Clark. I think Clark Gregg is in it. I mean, oh wow, who is he? Dogbear? Who? Wait, is he Dogbear? I don't. I don't remember. Um, oh. Now I want to see it. 
Yeah. Who else famous is in it? Because I know it was like all of his buddies that he works I with. I don't remember. I just remember that Agent Coulson was in it. I think Fran Kranz is in it too. Oh, okay. Fran Kranz and Guildenstern are dead. But just, I would love to see Fran Kranz and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Like I love that you brought this up, Tom. I'm so happy that you brought this up. Uh, there, it really is. It 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 is a little unfair to all productions of it to see Tim Roth and Gary Oldman in it because they're so good together. Yeah. And they're, I mean, these this when they were both like super young at the beginning of their careers, and you could just see so much potential. Uh, I got to see it in a theater. I was so happy to see it in a theater. We had this little theater in my little college town that showed movies like this, and I got to see it in a theater, and I went, holy fuck. I mean, I was just so happy. Yeah. I'm crazy right. about this play. All right, well, Kelly Wand, uh, I was worried I would get in trouble, so I'm, fortunately you like it because I was worried about getting in trouble about it being, A, a play. Actually, I knew I could get away with that, but because they're not yelling, <laughs> too. So I had to cover myself by pointing out that you preferred they didn't that they yelled, but this was not yelling. Right. This is Kelly Wan, is your favorite no a yelled no? Yeah. <laughs> Do tell. Oh yeah. Um Hey, yeah. I was thinking Gary Oldman and Tim Roth are like the Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster of our generation. I don't even know what that means. Kirk Douglas and Burt what what is tough guys? Cause one's, tough guys? Yeah, because one's conservative and one's kind of liberal, but they both look similar. And Why do you know? Who cares? Kurt, I, I, also, I was thinking it makes sense for sending Rodman to Korea because he was on The Apprentice. So it's like he's the Luke who's saying no. Okay, the one that edged out Cop Out, Tracy Morgan. That's what was going through your brain while me and Dingus were talking about Hamlet, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's usually what's going through my brain when you guys are talking about Hamlet. But, uh, oh, my number one favorite no in a movie, uh, is it the end of Evil Dead 2 when he's all, no, and he's crying? Ah, It's actually after Empire Strikes Back, but it's Ash, so I guess it still goes with your theory, because Ash can do it. But it's like, he's bummed because he's, I guess because he knows it's the end of the movie, because I don't see why he'd be that bummed. <laughs> that but it's when he gets transported to medieval times. Right, but they worship him in that last shot, so I don't know what he's worried about. He's going to get a lot of trim. Well, I, well, you know, wow. uh, cholera, for instance. Poor dental care. But that would have been in the book, too. And then he died of cholera. No TV dinners. And he's got, yeah, that's true. What movies are you going to go see? I think it's just that's him. He's just used to screaming no at that point, and he can't <laughs> stop doing it. Well, also, I just want to remind you, Sam Raimi's making a comedy at that point. Yeah, but then at the beginning of Army of Darkness, his hair's not gray, and he's not screaming no anymore. But then in the I, original ending, he screams no again. No. I, I don't consider Army of Darkness canon. You don't? <laughs> no. But do you use Ash versus Evil Dead canon? It's uh, it's like the books of the Apocrypha in the Bible. It's apocryphal. No, not canon. Mm-hmm. I do like that. Samara uh, Weaving, who we saw in – oh, no, you didn't see it. Who yeah, we the saw, babysitter. Oh, you did see the babysitter. She's also yeah, in yeah, – yeah. she has a small part in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is where Dingus oh, and I talked oh, about it recently. She's in uh, a couple of episodes of, of Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is the yeah, first yeah. I That's saw Yeah, yeah. That's where I first saw her. She was yeah. a dental Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, who is she? Is she the, uh, the, She's the uh, uh, she gift is, store owner? Uh, she's John Hawk's wife. John, 
And, oh, okay, okay. Uh, she, you know, they just play her as a, a jokey character, like a ditzy character. But she's the one that I mentioned. She's really good in the babysitter because she is just, just balls out committed to what McGee has written, even as awful as some of. Actually, I don't know if McGee wrote that. The the writing is super adolescent by design, and she has no problem committing to what they're doing in the babysitter. Uh, right. Oh, you like I remember us talking about her now, right. and and you saying. Because I was asking, is that her general like like duh right, kind right. of thing? And you're like, it's no, not. she can do. Yeah. It. yeah, it's misdirection even in the babysitter because you think she's just like the cool girl, and then it turns out that there's a twist to it, kind of. Yeah, but she's still. It also then it turns out there's a twist to that, and she is the right, girl. right, right. Yeah, well, right. No, right. I, I like her a lot in that, and she's also. I think she's in the uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock remake. Uh, what? What? I believe with Suki uh, Waterhouse from. Bad Batch, who I've told you guys about. I believe Who's she's directing it. It? Uh, it might be a TV miniseries thing, so probably a TV director. Uh, hmm. I didn't I even know. know. Yeah. I don't know if I want to see a remake of that, really. Uh, never mind, I lied. She's not in it. I take it back. <laughs> but it, Bruce Campbell does the best no delivery, so that's why it's my favorite. It's not oh, so yeah, much she is in it. I, re- I restore what I said. She's in it. Samara Weaving. Picnic at Hanging Rock. <laughs> with Natalie Dormer. Oh, from all right, I'll see Thrones. Yeah. So it's just cheesecake now. <laughs> well, wait, Kelly, why there... did you bring up Tough Guys? Oh, well, you know, because it's the 80s, too. And also, Gary Oldman and Tim Roth, are there. they can play each other's parts, sort of, if you... Like, you could oh, see Tim right. Roth as the uh, fifth element villain, and you could see Gary Oldman as... Mm-hmm. guy. And Sid Vicious, that could have been Tim Roth. Mm. No, and Commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> no. Here's the thing, I like I. There's, for me, there's a big difference between the two of them. Uh, Gary Oldman has. I'm guessing he's the conservative one. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Or maybe they yeah, both so are. Gary Oldman has a, a kind of a cold, hard, flinty core yeah. to him. Right. Tim Roth, there's something very likable and warm that is uh, central to, to who he is. I, I think, like not Rob Roy. No, Rob Roy, he's a villain. No, you're, and they can both they can both uh, break out of this. But uh, like in the, do you, have you seen the Liability yet, Kelly Wand? Yeah. No, I don't see movies. It's not in one word. You know that. He, he's, he's also he's, more vulnerable. I mean, vulnerable. You can see it. that in Mister Orange. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you see it in Mr. Orient, and, right, in Reservoir Dogs, and, and the same with The Liability. Um, and I wish I could remember, what's the name of the, there's a movie that is, it's, it's not a great movie, but it is an amazing Tim Roth performance. It's a movie called Chronic. It's not what you're thinking, Kelly Wan. Mm-hmm. It, it's about, he plays a male nurse. And his interaction with his patients, I could never see Gary Oldman doing that. Like he's so loving and he cares so much about them and just the physicality of the way that he uh, – there's, a, there's a, a, a really disarming scene of him uh, washing a very sick old woman. And it's full nudity and she's in the shower and watching him as a male nurse clean her. Like the director shoots this and holds on a full shot of this for a while um, it's like a non-fake physical gesture. There, there's something very caring, and there's nothing obscene or weird about it. It's just this one man caring physically for an old woman's broken-down, mm. uh, shriveled body. 
And it's a beautiful piece of work, and I can't see Gary Oldman doing that in the way that Tim Roth does that. Right. Uh, there's, there's this – so, so uh, that, think, that's just – all that's yeah. just touchy-feely actory talk, Kelly Wan, for saying I, I personally would not – put them in interchangeable roles like i personally would put them in specific places yeah i wouldn't either i I wouldn't see tim roth playing the the character that um gary oldman plays in state of grace i wouldn't see gary oldman playing the character tim roth plays in gridlocked for instance i just don't oh yeah exactly dingus gridlocked there's that vulnerability yeah hey uh i was thinking of this when you said disarming how many times t3po had his arm blown off because it's bad and (laughs) Force Awakens. So that's like three times. <laughs> Empire and also the Tuscan Raiders. So the answer is three. Yeah, three. Thank you. Glad we solved that. <laughs> All right. So what were you saying about Gosling and Barry Roth? What I was saying what I was saying is that it's time for Dingus to tell us the best instance of the use no in a movie. Ever. Ever. Of all time. Has to win. Preferably yelled. Yelled. This is yelled. This is definitely definitely yelled. Um, not the one I was expecting from this movie, but uh, I can't avoid it. It's the very opening scene of Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's when young young Pete Quill is in the hospital, and after his mom passes at the very beginning, um, and he's supposed to take her hand, and he doesn't, and she passes, and he yells, and he just starts screaming now uh his grandfather and i always forget who that actor is who's so good as his grandpa it's the guy whose name i always confuse with clark craig or greg clark Clark henry greg henry henry greg henry clark henry henry greg clenry clarks i think it's greg henry (laughs) i can't i i meant to look it up right before we went on and we've had five weeks to do this and i still didn't look up the dude's name he's so great there's this moment where that guy provides this moment at the beginning of this movie where uh, Pete's mom is, you know, he, first of all, the grandfather's, you know, Pete's mom is talking about, oh, you're just like your father. He's an angel composed pure light. And then the grandfather's like, don't you have uh, a gift for Pete? She just sort of like scoots that little box over. And the grandfather picks it up and says, I got your backpack. And puts it like in his backpack. And I just love the way he says that line. It's just so sweet. It's so gentle. But so like you know you can rely on that dude. And when she passes, he carries Pete out of the hospital room and puts him down. And Pete is just that little kid, Pete young Pete Quill. And right then, I mean, you know him as Pete. He's not Star Lord, he's not Peter Quill yet. He's just Pete. And that little kid is just screaming no because he realizes so many things are going wrong at this moment. He didn't do the right thing. Uh, He's being separated from his mom who's dead now, and he's going to run out of the hospital. But that that scream, that just – that incredible scream that little kid does is just, uh, I don't know, heartbreaking for me. Um, and it, and it's a young, it's this young actor, his name is Wyatt Olaf. Uh, and I, I just, I think that that kid totally carries it. Uh, he, he totally handles it. I think it's appropriate as far as the writing is concerned. And I think James Gunn as a director knows what he's doing in, in that moment. Hmm. All right. So guardians of the galaxy, there you a go. Child actor. 
Yep. Uh, what else have we seen that kid in, Dingus? Uh, we have seen him in something, and I didn't write it down. Oh, I didn't what know that. So I was wondering if uh, how come we haven't seen him in other stuff if he's so good. That was going to be my. <sighs> no, we did. We saw him something. <sighs> oh, damn it! I, I don't well, know. The Shining Kid was only in one movie. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And he's like, I'm done. I'm out. Fuck this. Like shit. Jake Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> but he was. Uh, Okay. Kelly, one, how do you feel about Jacob Tremblay? Which one's he? It, from Room. No, The Room. Uh, uh, he's dumb. Uh, do you think he's going to mess up Shane Black's Predator reboot? <laughs> what won't mess it up? <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? What won't mess Predator's dumb. It's always been dumb. Stupid Predator. Fuck Predator. <laughs> wow. wow. You're so dismissive of Predator. I'm really disappointed at you. Nah, he's a dumb monster. I don't no, like he's him. not. He's a space hunter. What's the matter with you? <laughs> he's a dumb Why space hunter, then. Why at all if it has been in something that, you, that at least one of you have seen that I have not seen? And you told hunter. me. Why at all? I don't know who that is. You've seen him in something. I know that one of you has seen him in something. It's got to be Gary uh. Wand. Oh, he's one of the kids in It. That's what it is. Oh. Well, okay. Haha. <laughs> Those kids would be cool for Predator to kill. <laughs> An It Predator crossover. Yeah, I like just that kind of kids, one. then I'd be into it. If that's like so, his thing. Like, oh, they're, the, they're the toughest prey. Does the Predator hang out in the storm drain, or does he just use the clown as like a decoy? <laughs> Why not both? It's yeah, so dumb point. that a clown would be your bait in a sewer. <laughs> Maybe, Kelly Wan, that's what will happen. I mean, maybe that's what ha- is the deal with Jacob Tremblay in a Predator reboot. Is this is the Predator coming to Earth to hunt young child actors? Uh-huh. Yeah. That makes more sense than a clown. Like, if you were a kid and a clown was in the store when you first was to be, wait, how'd you get in there? Let's cover that first, just to make sure <laughs> we're on the same page. And then we'll talk to the candy. Because I don't want candy that's been in a sewer either, you fuck. And then we'll talk the candy. <laughs> All right, well, Dingus, to the listeners, how many of them picked Darth Vader? Going, no! Let's find out. I didn't do it! First, we have John Renninger. Mm. He says, I decided to limit my list of characters who say no with no no's. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, so Jake Geats. Number three, the Lego movie. Predator doesn't have a Well, it is a very dramatic no from Wild Style near the end when Emmett jumps from Lord Business Office Tower. I'm picking the earlier, funnier no, no, no when Emmett is being sent to the melting chamber by Bad Cop. Wait, which Frozen movie is it? (laughs) John's second choice is Wall-E. Hmm. Again, there's a dramatic no from Eva when Wally is being uh, watched. Yeah. But I'm picking the no spoken by the autopilot when he's being deactivated. Oh, the HAL. The HAL 2000. No. Daisy. So John Renninger's number one is a movie called Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> um, the big no is from Luke in the I Am Your Father scene. And there might be two no's. In the Wookiees from Chewbacca when he thinks Han is about to be frozen. On Han- oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> uh. 
Is there? A, yeah, did George Lucas? You should subtitle that scene. So I thought clear. he was just yawning. I do not want. <laughs> he's, he's not yawning. He's not tired. <laughs> yeah, he's carrying C three PO around all day. <laughs> listening to him. Even. Oh, John, this is hilarious. All right, fine. <laughs> On Hoth and in Carbonite, but my pick here is the no that C three PO says when he gets blasted by what we later find out are stormtroopers. He repeats the no again as Chewie puts him back together, followed by, I've been shot. Oh no, I've been shot. <laughs> See, John, oh no is different. John though. chooses four no's from that movie. That's awesome, John. He's programmed to say, oh no, when he gets shot. <laughs> Someone, that's how Darth Vader programmed him. If my stormtroopers kill you, shoot you. <laughs> four movies from now. <laughs> Exclaim, oh no, in distress before and after. <laughs> this John, is simply. John made the empire. John built on Tom's empire pick. I like that. Mm. All right, next we have Luke F. Oh, the so top three knows in films, two thirds of which are guaranteed to disappoint Dingus with their quietness. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> All right, number three. McGruber dresses Vicky up as himself. And sends nice. her into a coffee shop to act as bait for the henchmen of his nemesis, Dieter von Kunth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hear that, Dingus? Uh, yeah. I, I, hear it. I hear it in my head. Yeah. As MacGruber guides her over an earpiece through the process of ordering and consuming a large Tazo tea. You know, all this is just making me want to see MacGruber again. Yeah. Luke, I, I, if that was your goal, mission accomplished, buddy. It's Dingus's anime. <laughs> the more MacGruber synopses we make Dingus read, the better. It'll yeah. bring him around eventually. Hold on. I need to, I need to go put some uh, some coins in the meter. Hold on. All right, so um, see, look, he's trying to make MacGruber references. It's yeah. already taking. See, he's turning into one of us. We're getting him. Yeah. It's like a man he, in black. He and Piper are attacked by the very man Vicky was meant to be luring. Hearing what she assumes to be the brutal killing of MacGruber over her earpiece, Vicky collapses to the floor screaming. <laughs> That's right, in the coffee shop in front of everyone. <laughs> as the other occupants of the coffee shop look on with concern, confusion, and pity. Just I'm going like, to need to change my number one now. That's great yeah, that's one. good. Good work, Dingus. So Luke S. Number two, during one of the many clashes on the golf course between Happy Gilmore and Shooter McGavin. Mm. Haha, you guys love McGruber, and now you have to deal with Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore's uh, all right. That's the good one. Shooter attempts to intimidate Happy by proclaiming, I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> Happy doesn't miss a beat. <laughs> Popping back with, you eat pieces of shit for breakfast? Shooter is stunned by this turnaround of what he certainly considered a real tough guy line and can only mutter a pathetic no. And he slinks away defeated. Yeah, that's good. See, Sandler kind of ruined it, and then that makes it good again. Yes. Proved. All right. That's not Luke S. Lucas's number one is in the gut-punch opening of the film Happiness, Jane Addams as Joy has just broken up with the fragile Andy, played by John Lovitz. He didn't see it coming at all, 
and he's devastated by the news that she no longer wants to see him. After composing himself following a brief sobbing jag, he asks, is it someone else? Joy, not choosing her words carefully in the slightest, immediately responds, no, it's just you. Except Dingus, Dingus is doing it like a throwaway. She's emphatic about it. She's like, no, it's just you. It's not like oh. a shrug. And it, it's a it's this horrible dig that – I mean that's part of why Todd Haynes is – not Todd Haynes. Todd Solons is so brilliant is it's a very innocent comment that is just it lays waste to yeah, John Lovett. Right. It's like, no, it's just you. <laughs> and she doesn't mean it that way as an aggressive thing. Yeah. Uh, she thinks she's uh, – Making him feel better. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. There's no one else. No, it's just you. I'd take nothing over this. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you were here because I don't remember that line. So thank you, Tom. Well, so, so many bits of it. I mean, they're they're just people get devastated with little lines and happiness. I mean, they're yeah. just so many. Like uh, like is it Brenda Vaccaro with uh, uh, Ben Gazzara? She's like, it's okay, don't feel bad. And he's like, I don't feel bad. I don't feel anything. <laughs> Like that's even worse because he's just wow. had sex with her. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. uh, like there, it's, it's just little innocent comments that are just <laughs> devastating. Uh, the hell of honesty. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't fuck you. I would masturbate. Like that. Jesus yeah. Christ! Oh. Just say that to your son. Yeah. Oh yeah. fuck oh. hell! Oh um, my god. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. What happened? Happiness. Although to bring it around, I will now point out though that all of Lucas's picks are a Saturday Night Live alumni. Oh yeah, little Will Forte, little Adam Sandler, little John Lovitz. That's true. Three generations. I see a pattern here. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Next we have Dan Winningham. Hmm. Hello, friends. Just one new for you this time. Here's a quote. What the hell is a Din Mac? It means death touch. Uh oh, this sounds like a Star Trek thing. In Bloodsport, oh, Frank. <laughs> the Star Frank. Trek of jocks. Frank. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? I mean, uh, Bloodsport's fun and it competitive. It's my favorite sport. And my Best. favorite sticks. Best flashback ever. I mean, it's like half the movie. In Bloodsport, Frank Dukes. <laughs> you know it that well? Yeah, oh yeah. I watched, oh, we watched the Bloodsport movie, guys. Come on, Bloodsport. Bloodsport so many times in college. Dude. Did you not? It, it's Christmas. What it's else? Kumite. Okay. Yeah. Right. In Bloodsport, Frank Dukes, um, John Claude Van Damme. In case you didn't know who was playing that, is watching his friend and fellow Kumite co- combatant Ray Jackson, played by Donald Gibb, fight against the reigning champion and movie villain Chong Lee played by Bolo Young. Uh, Jackson has some early success against Chung Lee, but Lee eventually gets the upper hand. As Chung Lee prepares to finish Jackson, Dukes has to be restrained from interfering. JVCD shouts, No! Stop! As Chung Lee delivers a vicious stomp to Jackson's head. I hope <laughs> no this stop. brings some good memories to Dingus, but who knows? Very funny uh, D-Win. Let's right. You can't yell stop slowly and expect someone to stop. They have to hear the whole word. Mm. See what I'm saying? I hear you. Yeah. Next we have Arthur Joven Jelly. Hmm. Number three, Tom, this is one of your favorite movies. Munich. Ugh. Ah. 
Geoffrey no! Rush. Yeah. Geoffrey Rush. <laughs> That's Tom's Vinion. Meets Eric Bana after the completion of the mission. I don't like that way that sounds based on how the end of the movie goes. Uh, after the completion of the mission, and Bana invites Rush to have dinner with him. He gives this great little speech about how Rush is a stranger in town and a Jew, and how there is an unwritten rule that they should break bread together, and Rush's only response is a flat no. The no has this great sense of finality to it that really made it stick with me. I don't remember much of Munich outside of this exchange. Hmm. Uh, no yelling. Uh, yeah, that's all right. The number Arthur's number two, Jurassic Park. When the cowardly lawyer, played by Martin Ferrero, is sitting on a toilet to face with the escaped T-Rex, he realizes it is going to eat him, and all that he can do ineffectually wave his hand and say no, no! (laughs) I like the idea that it's sort of like you would talk to a dog to tell a dog no, no. No. Ha ha, you studied law. <laughs> I always thought this was a horrifying moment, and a large part of that is the lawyer's feeble protests. Objection. Finally, Arthur's number one is Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. Ooh. After Gandalf the Grey uh-huh. gives the memorable "Fly, you fools!" line and falls with the Balrog known as Durin's bane, Frodo Baggins screams, "Gandalf, no!" A moment that has been memed to death, yet when you actually watch the movie, this no never stands out as cartoonish or over the top. This scene is heartbreaking, and Frodo's futile screams are pretty much the only way to capture the tragedy. The one time he shouts fly is the one time the eagles don't show up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't have an eagle fly underground, first of all. People that's have said that that's true. That that's that's his secret way of saying, "Get the eagles, you idiots! Fly yeah. eagles!" Yeah, they are fools. All right. Next, we have Chris Markinson. Hey guys, here are some no's that I like. Number three, Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo lets out a pain to know after Gandalf is pulled off the bridge of Khazad Doom and into the abyss of the by the Balrog. Mm-hmm. All right. So Chris and Arthur, well done. But it's a fake no because he's not dead. So it's a wasted note. You know, I just, someone explained that to me. What's the whole deal with Gandalf the Grey turning to Gandalf the White? And what does he know happened to him? What does he not know? Is this something that he expected? What? What is – huh? What I guess mean, he huh? killed uh, – he kills the bar off, becomes he, an angel. He doesn't become an angel. He just – Oh. Transcends to a new level, new level of a wizard ship. By winning the win- fight or losing the fight? Yeah, he wins the fight. He kills the Balrog. He levels up, and he and he thinks he dies, but he yeah he, he levels up. Why not? But how does the staff and the clothes? Yeah, like how does he become the white? Like why can any of the wizards do that? Turn from another color to white, or is it just gray to white? Like, isn't Sauron – no, Saruman? Saruman. I think Saruman abdicates the white throne and becomes Saruman of many colors. What? So You're making that up. Saruman no. – no. He's like – so what? The kaleidoscope Saruman? No. Yeah, he, he becomes he becomes the wizard of many colors, doesn't he? No. He yeah, just says that. Oh, he can't so just, just take the color. 
Look, I need to know the rules. Can one of you guys give me? Is there a player's handbook or something I can consult? There's two whites. Once Saruman abdicates the white throne, Gandalf gets to ascend to it. But he has to find a Balrog down a cliff shaft. And so does he remember or not remember everything? Because what's he doing that? What's that whole like, ooh, I'm mysterious and freaky and I'm a new guy. What's all that nonsense when he's revealing himself (laughs) in that forest there? When he smotes the mountainside, how come they don't all die because they're on the mountain? It gradually comes back to him the way Spock's memory comes back to him in that's, Star Trek Three: The Search. That's not for what Spock. happens when you level up. I've leveled up in games before. I know how it works. You, put, you no, remember everything. Your clothes don't you, change. Bleach. If you get killed, you have to go and you have to find all your crap over oh, so there. So he did get killed. I thought he won. He did win by getting killed. That's not winning, um, Dingus. There's a different word for when you get killed in a battle. Sometimes the only win is the way to lose. Yeah, this oh. is, I think Blood the Lord of the Rings. I, I think Tolkien's just making this stuff up. Blood sport of the rings. I think you're right that Tolkien was making it up. Yeah, Come on, <laughs> I don't think it's actual history. Yeah. I think that I, I knew although, it. I knew I was being tricked. I'm not although Stephen R. Donaldson was actually that is actual history. Ah, uh-huh, you read Sword of Shannara. Ew. You? Wish song of Shannara. Anyway, Chris Markets is number two. The Dark Knight. Hmm. Due to the head trauma that the Joker suffers from Batman's enhanced interrogation techniques, he gets mixed up about which address Harvey and Rachel are at. <laughs> Chris, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. When, when Batman arrives at Avenue X at Cicero, man, Chris, you have written this. In such a way that it's hard for me to read it. When Batman arrives at Avenue X at Cicero, he finds Harvey who shouts, no, 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 not me. Oh, Why you I do like this me? one then. Okay, because it's Harvey Dent and that right. I do like this one. Yeah, but Chris has written this really tightly. I love the way it's written. It's really hard to read uh, on, uh, in a cold reading. Well, I could see, too. It's like his face is pressed against the gasoline, which, you know, yeah. Christopher Nolan's making it clear this is the part that's going to get burned. Like, you yeah. can clearly see how, you know, what the damage is going to do. Right. And, yeah, I can definitely. And Aaron Eckhart can pull that off. All right. And it's, yeah. you know what? It is it is operatic. This is a Greek tragedy. So it's allowed histrionics like that. Yeah, I agree. And Chris says Aaron Eckhart does an excellent job with those no's. Hmm. Because he realizes too exactly that the Joker's won, you know that he's so that Batman's the right wrong place, and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's oh, a and joke. That, that, that Maggie Gyllenhaal's going to die too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that sucks. Damn. Well, you guys are making to watch a bunch of new, bunch of movies again. Darn it. Well, if you didn't watch Star Trek two fifty times, you could see some of these more often. Bane says no to the guy whose face he covers. No, brother, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks for ruining my runners up, Kelly Wand. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Forgot we did this. Tom, do you feel in control now? No. All right. So Chris Markinson's number one is seven. Spelled Uh-oh. correctly with a seven in the middle of seven. Uh-oh, I got as a bad a, feeling about this one. As realization of what might be in the box dawns <laughs> on Mills, he lets out several anguished shouts of, No! All right, we have to talk. Uh-oh. I love that. I love this so much. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even think of that. I, I just love that scene so much. I, but I love the movie, and I know you, you 
are on record as not liking the screenplay anyway. So well, it's not it's, it's, the screenplay is not the issue here. It's, I think it's it's Brad Pitt just sort of doing his showy. Hey, I'm actor man. The same kind of like Twelve Monkeys stuff. Because um, uh, that whole oh. what's in the box is is I like I think people remember it because it's kind of unfortunately clunky. Like I don't. I mean, we're oh. so used to it, and it's a seminal. Like it's a, it's a, it, it's a, it's an integral part of that movie and how we think of it and how we remember it. But I think Brad Pitt's a little out of control there. I think it's Jimmy Davis's head as an actor and doing the no, what's in the box? No, I mean, I, I, I think it's Brad Pitt not being a sort of a young greenish actor, and uh... it's his dick <laughs> in the box. I don't know. Is that just me though? Is that is that not like just weird and showy and a little awkward? All of his uh, emoting over the box. That was his nickname in high school. No, because I I <laughs> I love his performance in that. I I love the two of them together, uh, and I think there is you know to you you you've coined the term operatic for space operas as we've done this discussion. Um, I think there's an operatic quality to that because of what's gone on in the okay. rest of this movie. I mean, there's a Titus Andronicus feel to it. Brad Pitt's it's weird, it's scary, and, and he, I think he understands what's happening. And that's what's happening to him. Maybe he can't quite control it at this point in his, in his acting career. I mean, he's certainly not up to you know Morgan Freeman chops level. Uh, but I, well, you know, I think I, he does you, fine. When you put it that way, too, Dingus, I mean, it also works with the kind of character he is. You know, he's a guy who gets frustrated trying to read cliff notes. Um, right. He's he's not a very articulate, smart guy. He's a rookie cop. Um, I guess it on works. The, I don't know. On I, the just, TV, I, I, I kind of feel that what's in the box, like I can't watch that now. It, it's kind of ruined for me, is asking what's in the box. Hmm. Go ahead, Kelly. One on the TV. What? On the TV series, what's happening? <laughs> Dwayne is the Brad Pitt. <laughs> Haywood Nelson. Yeah. Okay. What were you saying about something? Oh, so Barton Fink's doesn't have. You see, Barton Fink doesn't freak out like that. Like he's, he, you don't he have John Turturro going. What's in the box? Like. Yeah. <laughs> John Turturro is way more somber and down to earth about the possibility that maybe one of your loved ones has a head in a box. Right. Well, but. But one of the key quotes in Seven is Morgan Freeman, uh, Somerset, saying to Mills, it's impressive to see a man feeding off his emotions. And that's what Mills is doing. He feeds off of his, off of his emotions. And it's also set up that Kevin Spacey's getting him to kill him. I mean, that he clearly yeah. knows that he's going to freak out. So, all right, you yeah. know what? Fair enough. Because he's rage. Yeah. A wrath. And I can't remember. Oh, uh, you know, okay, Dingus, you just, you just basically laid out the player's handbook for me right now with that. You just made it work Sorry. according to the rules. So, no, no, David, don't do this. That's great. You just pointed the, to the paragraph in the rules book where this is exactly what would happen to that character. Percent in layer level. four. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly rolled a critical hit against Brad Pitt, and the chart says that that's how Brad Pitt would react. So, absolutely, Dingus. <laughs> he is rage. Good point. Rage. All right. Next, we have Nick D. Hi, guys. Since I can't pick the time that George ate an eclair out of the garbage. <laughs> I just watched that. That's interesting. Only to me. <laughs> no, no, I'm no guessing that this is a Seinfeld reference. Uh, I can tell by the way Dingus is giggling. To at least six of us, I think. 
Uh, since I can't pick the time that George ate an eclair out of the garbage can and then denied that he had ate trash, here are my picks. It was on the top. It's above the rim. I'm Italian, not Jewish. <laughs> Number three, Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Dick. He picked a Fiddler mu- on the Roof. A musical. Yeah. Opera. 1971, directed by Norm, Norman Jewison. Um, I I went to see a live... I went to see it last year on Christmas Eve, where people sang along to it at a local, like, independent theater. <laughs> I can't believe Nick D. picked Fiddler on the Roof. All right. Uh, Tevye is a man of tradition and believes his daughters should have arranged marriages, but he loves his daughters, too. So when his eldest daughter decides to marry who she wants, he thinks, on the other hand, they love each other and caves. And then his second daughter decides to marry a Marxist, and he caves again. But when his third daughter wants to marry a Goy, that's a bridge too far. He bellows, no, 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 there is no other hand at her. And it's appropriately operatic. Maximilian Shell. It's great in that role. It's not Maximilian. Stop it. Maximilian Shell. I do, I do love that because now having seen that a couple of times, whenever uh, my girlfriend and I, whenever somebody says, on the other hand, we immediately say, there is no other hand. What? But we don't scream, no. There's no other hand. For him, there's no, uh, he's, he's trying to convince himself. On the other hand, she could do this. On the other hand, this isn't right. On the other hand, he says, no, there is no other hand. I, this is the line. There's no crossing this line. So there is no other hand. On the other hand, there is no other hand. If you're a science fiction nerd, you say, on one hand, on the other hand, and then you add a third thing, and you say, on the grasping hand. I have no idea what that's from, but I know that science fiction nerds love that. It's a reference to, I don't know, Isaac Asimov or some damn thing. The grasping hand? (laughs) Am I the only one who knows that one? Yeah. Yeah, there's like some alien race that apparently has three hands. So they say, on the one hand, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, blah, blah, blah. But on the grasping hand, blah, blah, blah. There's apparently some race in, I don't know, Foundation Trilogy or whatever of aliens that have three hands, and they call one of them the grasping hand. So the idiom (laughs) is completely different for them. Don't grasp with your first two hands, idiots. (laughs) Don't shake someone's grasping hand either. Yeah, it's very rude. Um. You guys really haven't heard of that. I would have. I would have never heard of that. No, I would have assumed that that Kelly Wand knew that one. I would assume too. That's why I'm really surprised. I mean, I barely even know it myself. So (laughs) you're right about lift. So you're probably right about grass. (laughs) And I'm right about circumference. Don't forget that one. Well, I think that's there's no mm about it. The Earth has infinite circumferences, and I don't want to hear any guff from you guys about how it doesn't. But then that would imply, why do we even have the word circumference? We could just go, yeah, the Earth. To apply to a sphere, Kelly Wan. The Earth is not a perfect sphere, shaped like an egg. No, the Earth is – we all know the Earth is flat, so why don't we just do a radius? Now, see, that's correct. If the Earth was flat, it would have a single radius. But the Earth is not a perfect sphere. It does not have a circumference. It has infinite circumferences within within parameters. See, Tom's a flat Earther, Kelly. Yeah. Please. But maybe at the end of Planet of the Apes, they just buried the Statue of Liberty. Just Does he go no or no? It's just you did it, you damn dirty apes, you blew it up. I don't think he actually says no about no, it. No, he doesn't say you damn dirty apes at that point. Yeah, he mm-hmm. does. 
Yeah. No, we're the, we're the no, dirty. He says, you, you yeah. idiots or you fools. No, you, you did it. You damn dirty apes. You blew it up. No, the, Get your the hands damn off of me. damn dirty apes are in the middle. Don't touch me, No, no, me, that's what he says. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty I apes. You did it. You blew happening. it all up. <laughs> and then Lincoln comes in and sets the Statue of Liberty free. I mean, that seems but, like a way more appropriate point to, to malign the apes' hygiene at that point when they've blown up the world rather than, oh, you've captured me. You're dirty. Seems way more appropriate to malign the their hygiene. He's talking about people. It's made out of people. Oh, you know what? You're right, Dingus. <laughs> I just not thought of that. Oh, good point. All right. But he's Dingus. calling us. Yeah. Dingus, what, Dingus is correct on this point. I will concede. He should have said, hey, you didn't blow all of it up. I still see the torch part. But the so apes aren't culpable for, for what he discovers at the end. I'm, I'm now appreciating. All right. They're yeah. dirty, but they're not the mutants to a radio. They're not them. damned. And they yeah, didn't blow up the art. Right. He's talking about humans. Yes. Nick D's number two choice is Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. There there are a bunch of great no's during Clarice and Hannibal's last scene together, including a great no that is incidental. Ah, that's a great one. No, that is incidental. You have to think of your Marcus Aurelius at that point. But the one I like is where Jodie Foster asks him, please tell me how. And Anthony Hopkins sort of sneers and goes, no, at her, refusing to give her the answers until she has revealed her personal secrets to him. Mm. I was thinking that it might be a, somehow a reaction to passing by Miggs's cell. Ugh. No, Miggs. Damn it. Okay, one more, Migs. Come on. Nick D's number one, Sexy Beast. <gasps> yes! Fine. Oh, my! I would need to change my answer. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a great... That might be the definitive one, actually. Mm-hmm. Why didn't it's we choose that one? Because there's too uh, many. Yeah, but come on. This is one of the greatest actors in all time, and he's, he's chewing these nose and barking. This is like, you know, I mentioned Ryan Gosling being like a dog barking. This is also like... Yeah, a this is a purloined letter, though. We couldn't see it for its obviousness. You're welcome. We'll let Nick D explain it. But he also says yes a bunch of times, which is great. Yeah, he's just trying true. to get him to go to Grovna. Alright, so Nick, uh, Sexy Beast, I'll give you a quote. No, 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 not this fucking time. You make me look like a right Cunt. Cunt. Yeah, sorry. Now we're going to have to get a tag on this podcast. Tags. Uh, so we have one more. Ow, ow. Do you want to talk about Sexy Beast anymore? I just want to hear Ben Kingsley do it. I mean, you're a good dingus, but you're no Ben Kingsley. No, no, I, I agree. I could never pee on the floor like he does. Um, <laughs> next, we have Soren Hoogland. He says, hi, guys. I'm blatantly going to defy the 3 by 3 police and violate the spirit of the law. There will be no hammy screaming here. Yeah, anarchy. Go, Soren Hoagland. I see no, the damn. blatant play for Revenge of the Sith entries, and I'm not going to indulge it. So far, no one's indulged it. Except yeah, Kelly really. <laughs> Except for Kelly Wand, yeah. All right, so Soren's number three. No, The Matrix. Agent Smith's affectless denial of the chopper and its minigun. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. And its minigun during the rescue of Morpheus is more effective than any Lucas Panda outburst. (laughs) Wait, I thought he wasn't going to reference it. He just did. He just did. Yep. Nice work, Soren. You trolled yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Soren's number two. All I know is sometimes if they... Wait, what is that? So is it just Hugo Weaving going, no. 
Like what? Like the helicopter shows up and he just says no. Do you guys remember? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was actually this is weird when I was driving my kid to school um, this morning. Uh, we were talking about the Matrix because he's just he recently saw the Matrix with his mom. I haven't seen the Matrix in a while, and I just started like riffing on quotes and ideas from the Matrix and talking to him about it and telling him why that moment when um, Switch calls him copper top makes sense and why that's a joke and because he he's like i don't know what why would she call him copper top well you know because of duracell batteries they're called copper tops and oh. so i was explaining a bunch of stuff to him about it and things that we liked about the movie and didn't like about the movie um and i forgot that moment that's just basically that that chopper coming down and the and agent smith realizing that uh, that Things are going that 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 basically the tide is turning against them, and I think it's just it's just him simply saying, "No." Doesn't have much effect because they managed to get away. Yeah, he didn't hear him say no. Either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it should have. He should have spoken up. Yeah, maybe if he'd shouted, you know, would have gone all right, fine, understandable. <laughs> See? All right, what does, Elton, Elton, does Nick D have? All right, this is Soren. Soren's number Soren, two sorry, yeah. is, um, quote, all I know is sometimes if there's too many white people around, I get nervous, you know? And then the next part of dialogue is, oh, no, 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 no. This is from a movie called Get Out. I have not seen this movie. Oh, uh, there's a bunch of things going on here, and I don't want to spoil anything for someone who doesn't know the, the twist. Thank you, Soren. But this establishes without a doubt that there is something deeply wrong with the black house maid. And the way. <gasps> oh, she's so good. That actress is so good in that scene. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, okay. So what Soren says, and the way she, and he italicizes this, invades the frame during the scene is some, one of my favorite camera work moments of the year yeah so the actress is named betty gabriel and we talked about when we saw split and um james mcavoy just does these little subtle things with his face and you can see things going on and i i sort of described it as face dancing like it's just so intricate and controlled uh and this woman betty gabriel has this one scene which has that kind of stuff in it and it's it's just chilling watching her work uh that's a great one soren Oh, oh, man, no, that is great. You can out. see the transformation. Eh, you should probably see it because it's probably going to get all sorts of uh, awards and whatnot. I like it. I thought Tom didn't like it, but now he sounds excited about it. Well, there's some great stuff in it, but overall I didn't care for it. I, I really think uh, that Jordan Peele – Jordan Key, Key, no. Peele, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, that uh, he's got tone issues with it. Like I don't need that uh, that, that yeah, character. Yeah, but – and There's I don't need the, the, the big smacking finale. And I, I there, there's great stuff in it that I think that he undermines with his sketch comedy background. I'll just say that. Maybe, yeah. but that same guy is great. The main performance, he's really good. Oh no, no, I, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, we love him from Sicario and yeah. uh, Lakeith Steinfeld. I love seeing him again. And this, this woman, Betty Gabriel, she's fantastic. The good way outweighs the bad, I think. Um, you know what? I'll give, I'll give you that. Yeah. And considering how bad most horror is, okay. Right. I didn't know he was the guy from Sicario. Holy cats. Yeah, yeah, Daniel. I want to say Kalua. I don't. I, his name is something. Like I that. freaking love that guy. In yeah, he's great. Well, Dingus, you should see Get Out. Maybe you shouldn't listen to me. As, well, as, well, th- well yeah. th- that was another thing with the Golden Globes things coming out today was that oh, Big Sick didn't get nominated for enough, and Get Out I didn't think get nominated for enough as as far as like the stories 
just clickbait stories. Uh, get out. I don't know. I, I, but I love that guy. I would watch it just to of, see that guy. Yeah, but I th- Get Out is just is getting a, a lot of attention for its, uh, I think, its social message rather than the quality. Of it. Although that's a little unfair because there are really good things. But that's what you said when you first saw it. You go, yeah, it's an SNL skit premise. And then when I saw it, I, go, I saw what you were saying, but it, the execution way surpassed how you made it sound from that. Like I just hate of- when it gets undermined. I hate where it ends up, and yeah. I really don't need that deus ex goofball. But most horror movies have shitty endings like that. Like, uh, well, okay. Like, right. Like, I mean, yes. Good know. horror movies don't. The guest is fine. What's the matter with you? Well, the well guest it has a is- wacky ending. Like, I think it jumps the shark. I think the guest, the last five minutes, are the worst five minutes. What are you, t- are you talking about at the, uh, at the prom? At the or prom? What? Yeah. And after. What? No, that's where all the stories with with high school leading up to the joke. Yeah, nah, it's not as good. Come on, you got Lance Reddick showing up. How can that not be awesome? Doesn't matter. (laughs) That's fine. AJ Bowen shaved his beard for that role. Yeah, (laughs) fair point. (laughs) Too sure. All right, so I I love that Soren brought that up though. That's that's Mm. a great pick. Uh, All right, he's once again made me want to watch a movie and. You know, one of his suggestions wound up on my list last year. So, well, thing is, uh, first I need you to see Star Trek Two four more times. Right, I will do that. Steve, yeah. So, Soren's number one choice is no. Is that the only word you know? No, no. <laughs> the entirely correctly named Enchanted. Parenthetical. Shut up, Tom. <laughs> Unparenthetical. I thought that was TV. I- it's before I didn't like Amy Adams. Wait, wait, no. Is that the? Is it? Is this the cartoon with the frying pan? No, that's not. That's Tangled. Okay, what's this Good one? Lord, Past tense. this is Enchanted. This is in which Amy Adams, perfectly pitched real life Disney princess, learns what it feels like to be angry, and also that maybe she wants some of that sweet bathrobe packed. Oh God, whoa, 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 Dingus! Hold on, you got all sweet tripped bathrobe up there. packed. What happened? Some of what's that going on? sweet bathrobed Patrick Dempsey action Ew. rather than her Prince Charming. Ugh. Ugh. Boy, that didn't, that didn't end the way I was hoping. <laughs> well, it never does, does it? Your bathrobe pack. Some of that, how, do you, how would you read some of that sweet bathrobed Patrick Dempsey action? You just stop after the pack. <laughs> just <laughs> remove Patrick Dempsey's name. Let yeah. me just own it out. Is Patrick That's, Dempsey the, the one they call McDreamy from that one television yeah. show? Ha ha, Kelly Wan knows that. Right. Well, Heigl. I knew Heigl was on it because she's Izzy, which is sort of like easy. See? Mm. I remember liking Enchanted, but I haven't seen it in so many years. Oh, holy cats. Yeah. Tom disenchants But she's so... No, I like Enchanted. So, like I said, it's before I uh-huh. didn't like Amy Adams. I mean... Right. Ha uh-huh, you like Enchanted. <laughs> <laughs> of course I do. Enchanted is great. Of course, she's just, everyone likes it, Kelly. She's just ebullient. She's so great in it. Ugh. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> all right, all right. Pony. All right that's all we've got. We, we have one more uh, listener who wrote in about Justice League last week, but I think I'll leave that on the table. Uh, do you guys have any uh, runners-up? Well, I did until Kelly ruined it. Right. Forgot what Kelly, do you have a runners-up? Uh, Oblivion. What's the note? Oh, <laughs> are you okay? Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Oh <laughs> Kelly, one no shut. Up. 
Oh, that should be mine. I'm so mad you stole that from me, Kelly Wand. Oh, you are so fat. <laughs> Cute little <laughs> Olga Kurilenko. Oh, I know. Same. Are you okay? No. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. That's Kelly Wand. That's, that's what I'm saying. There's just too many. There's no wrong no's. Uh, here's a wrong no. Um, have you guys watched Singles? Ugh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's my answer. The Winona oh, Ryder no. thing where she defines irony? No. Bridget Fonda. Uh, she de- she defines Del- Evian because it's naive. I couldn't remember the name of this movie. No. Um, Singles is the uh, Cameron Crowe Cameron Crow movie uh, about singles in and Seattle. Uh, and there, and there's this uh, one of the plot lines is Campbell Scott trying to he's this engineer who's trying to who works for the city who's trying to convince the mayor. No, this is what I'm talking. Yeah, isn't Winona Ryder in it? No. And Ethan Hawke? No. All right. No, it's that's, Bridget Fonda. That's Reality the, Bites. You're, yeah, oh no, you're right. Okay, all right. I have seen this though because he's like a transportation engineer or something like that. Right, right. It's yeah. Kira Sedgwick and, and Bridget Fonda and, and Matt uh, – not Matt Dillon. Yeah, it's Matt Dillon. It is Matt Dillon. Okay. Um, so he's he's trying to convince uh, the mayor, uh, the entire government structure, that they can build a super train and that people will leave their cars. This will solve gridlock, and as long as we give them good coffee and good music and a really fast train, people will take the train. And he that's that's his whole thing. I mean, that's his big project. And he's devoted all of his work time to making this project work. Um, and finally, you know, he 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 does this presentation for the deputy mayor and the mayor's like, yeah, the deputy mayor's like, yeah, I will get you some. I'll get you a few minutes with the mayor because I think this is a really good idea and this will solve gridlock in Seattle. Um and so the finally we get to the scene with the mayor, and it's Tom Skerritt all of a sudden. I don't know how Tom Skerritt shows up in this movie, but he just does. But a lot of people just do. Like Jeremy Piven shows up in a small role. Um, Paul Giamatti shows up just like necking with a girl in a, in a coffee shop, and his one word is, what? Uh, I mean, that's his only line in the movie is Paul Giamatti says, what? Um, so anyway, uh, Campbell Scott and uh, Tom Skerritt are sitting at a table in a restaurant, and he and he gives this whole presentation about how great this super train is going to be. And um, Tom Skerritt says basically what everybody's been saying for the whole movie, which is, I think your idea is great, but I like my car. I love my car. And he says, now I'm going to tell you my answer. And the camera <laughs> – just shows his his mouth as he says, no. <laughs> so you don't hear the actual word? Like there's no – No, no. You see it. You hear it and you see it. It's oh, just him oh, saying just no and you see his gross that. teeth and his his fuzzy face. Is uh, it like a close-up of Adam Sandler at the end of Meyerowitz stories? It kind of is. Uh, and that's one of the things that I liked – that I was thinking about this topic, but I wanted to choose yells instead. But I love that moment where Tom Skerritt just goes, because it, it is very much, it, it is like its own scene in the movie. That, that one shot is its own little compacted scene. Like, no, that's it. All right. Well, you guys ready for the next three, three by three topic. We're going to have a few weeks to think about this. Definitely. So let me just put this 
this uh, bee under your bonnet, the saddle under your burr, as it were. Um, I want you to think about, and this is for Kelly Wand. This hmm. three by three is for Kelly Wand specifically. Hmm. <clears throat> in movies, a lot of times Kelly Wand doesn't like it when there's redemption. He doesn't like redemption in his movies. In a movie, if you have a character who's not sympathetic or who's a jerk, uh, you have to teach them life lessons, and they have to have a redemptive moment. <sighs> Kelly Wand, see, listen to Kelly Wand. He hates that. <clears throat> now, or in a lot of movies, this is a key. It's a it's a, it's a good, important moment. In a good movie, this works. I want your worst redemptions in movies. Your oh, three boy. worst, the ones that you hate the most. Oh, See, wait. Kelly Wand? See? Mm-hmm. I want you to, when you think of these moments, to mentally or audibly make that noise that Kelly Wand just made right now. So I can't like the ones I choose? No, they're the worst. I mean, if you like the you worst things, it. go for it. All right. You can like them, but they have to be worst. You have to sort of like them. Yeah, thing is, you have to ironically like them. Uh some redemption uh, that is. Now, you've got three weeks. Actually, you've not quite three weeks. Our timing's all screwed up. You've got to get these in. You've got until you got until the end of the year, by the way. Get Ooh. these to us by midnight, December 31st, 2017, and we will read them on the air. Send them to 3x3 at quarter to three.com. That is your least favorite, the worst redemption moments in movies that you can think of. The moments that will make Kelly Wan go, ugh. Like that. Oh, I just thought of an awesome one. There you go. Exactly, Kelly Wand. So, Kelly Wand, send those in, too, to 3X. Oh, no, Kelly Wand, you, you hang on to yours. You're going to read them on the air. You're going to tell them to us. Them. Hang on to them tightly. Think about them. Cultivate them. Let that be under Aww. your bonnet, sort of wiggle around in your hair. That saddle that, under my burr. Yeah, Did let you it get say under wiggle your skin. around in your hair? Yeah, that's what bees do in bonnets, Dingus. Just ask <sighs> so Michelle funny. Williams in uh, Meek's Cutoff. <laughs> or the uh, They Might Be Giants. I don't know what that's a reference to. I don't watch music videos. Uh, so send those to 3x3 at quarter3.com. We'll read them on our 3x3 episode, which is a few weeks from now. But first, we're going to see Star Wars. Then we're going to see Jumanji. We're going to have a heck of a December doing it, so join us for that. Next week will be our Star Wars Ultimate Jedi, whatever, uh, podcast. <laughs> if you see this movie, send your comments about it. I know you're going to see it. I know you'll have thoughts Get those to us by midnight, December 17th at 3x3 at quarter3.com. Uh, and then if you see Jumanji, we'll remind you about that. I hope I make it to episode nine. <laughs> Kelly Wan, save it for the podcast. Oh, uh, okay. Secure that shit, Hudson. Mm. Oh. Uh, so join us for that, uh, <laughs> our Star Wars Ultimate Jedi podcast next week. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian McCloskey. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. According to Netflix, because I watched The Black Hole, it thinks I would enjoy Gerald's game. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves old Next to Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers' Electric Company was the weak link theme song-wise. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Hey, my favorite actor was uh, Clemory Harks. In uh, Breaking Bad. 
I didn't heckle you. I just would who you. It's supportive. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, I thought of another redemption. It's bad. <laughs>